Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to Nostalgia Part 2, where we are going over your survey responses. Oh, my God. That sounded so... Hammy. Official. Like a so show. Game showy. Yeah. yeah. And welcome, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, to this week's episode of Sky Talkers. <laughs> Hold for applause. <laughs> What's weird is that I don't think we've ever done a follow-up episode to one of our episodes. I was thinking about this earlier, and this isn't necessarily – like, we're ta- we're going to be talking about the survey that we sent out, and so many of you responded, and we're so thankful for that. It's been about a month since we recorded our first Nostalgia episode. We released it a week ago, and I think it's interesting to think about how much nostalgic elements have or like even just the subject of nostalgia has come up so often in conversation recently that which was definitely not our intention but it's nice to have a place where we can reflect on it with your survey answers and I think that's exactly what we're going to be doing today. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, we love surveys, clearly. Uh, if you filled out our podcast review feedback survey, uh, those are always really fun to go through. We don't do like an official reflection on those surveys, so it was good to have this opportunity to be going through this survey. And yeah, I, I was really interested by a lot of your answers, and some of the things surprised me on it. Some things I was like, that tracks. <laughs> <laughs> And it's going to be fun to go into. I will say that for this survey, we are going to be going like through each of the questions and talking about the responses. We're going to be reading a lot of your responses straight from the survey. So it really is meant to be like you heard our opinions on nostalgia. And we're hoping to just kind of put out there a lot of your opinions on nostalgia, of course, with commentary from us because that's what we do. <laughs> but we're hoping that it will uh, mainly be all of y'all's opinions, um, especially because like we were talking about in the last episode, nostalgia is so personal. And I remember when we recorded it, it was like, okay, let's run through our bias list again of wh- how we entered Star Wars, what we tend to gravitate towards in it, like our interests within the franchise, because that's going to heavily impact what you think is good and bad nostalgia. And I think that's really true uh, for the responses that we've heard here uh, through the survey. So it's going to be good to go through them. Definitely. I also want to say before we dive in that Caitlin and I, while we love surveys, we're by no means market researchers. We don't have that sort of uh, title behind us. We're not official researchers. This is just a fandom project. Let's be real. Oh, and do you think people think that? I don't. I mean, I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like online I see people be like, "This is a sketchy survey." Not about this survey, but I just wanted to. I haven't seen that at all about this survey, but just wanted to kind of say that that. Caitlin and I are just doing this just for fun because we're interested. (laughs) We are not data scientists. Exactly. And we know data scientists and they're great and they are super good at uh, conducting surveys and uh, gathering market research and everything. So I just think this was a really interesting experiment. And I am happy to say that we got 268 responses at the time of recording. We'll probably close the survey soon, but we're going to be reading over 200, close to 300 responses, which is way more than I thought we were going to get mm-hmm. in a week. So yeah. I'm really, I, I again, thank you. I don't think we're going to read every single response no. and every single question. No, no, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Let me just also disclaimer that uh, we don't have the vocal cords for that. But uh, 
yeah, it was such a great response. Thank you to everyone who filled it out. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, like Charlotte, I didn't expect to get that many responses. So we were really happy about that. And that's good because like we said, like the more responses there are, the better the data. I, I'm not a data scientist, but I can tell you that much. <laughs> right. The more people that fill something out, the better uh, the better the discussion is. So thank you, everyone. Yes, absolutely. So just FYI, the sample size is 268 people from all across fandom, I suppose. Mainly our sample size was from the podcast, um, which we linked in the last episode. And then also we circulated it on Twitter, on Instagram, sort of, and on Facebook. So um, social media, basically, but then also the podcast itself. Mm -hmm. And I would also keep in mind, too, that not every question was answered every time as well. So I think the lowest response rate we had was for our very last question, which is kind of a catch-all question, where we got 200 responses. And then most, almost everything was in the, had like about 264 responses on average, but not every question was answered each time. So just keep that in mind. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's dive in, Caitlin. Let's start with the first question. Do you think nostalgia is clouding current media? So this one was super interesting because almost 81% said yes. So that's 216 people said yes, they think that nostalgia is clouding current media. And 28 people, so 10% said no. And then with about 10% of other people saying, uh, writing in a different answer, which was something like sometimes. So sometimes they think nostalgia is clouding current media. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one, I this one I kind of expected these answers. Actually, I kind of thought it would be more 50-50, maybe not quite 50-50, but more 60-40 on the yes and no. So to see it kind of overwhelmingly be yes was a little bit surprising. But then I, the more I thought about it with, we talked about this in the last episode about this reboot culture. I think that there is, you see a lot of critique of there not being enough original uh, media or content being produced out there. So I think this actually kind of tracks with a lot of what we've seen online in the past couple of years. Yeah. I think that a lot of the responses we got were like, in some cases, Kind of sometimes, and I would say I agree <laughs> because it is a, a certain case by case basis. But in general, yes, because I think that it does. Like we talked about, nostalgia based media, media that we're familiar with, essentially, if we're going to use that um, definition to kind of guide us, um, is kind of taking over the general market. You know, it's I think that we can all say that there really is a lack of original stories, even though right now we're talking about Star Wars, which we think about each Star Wars movie being an original story. It's still under the IP of Star Wars. And I think that in in general, in the media marketplace, there is such a a small amount of original successful stories, really success being meaning meaning box office numbers or uh, right now, I guess, digital downloads. So uh, just the entry place in terms of original media is small. You know, I think that it's it's harder to kind of capture the zeitgeist really in these days when you have huge IPs like Marvel and Star Wars and Pixar and Disney kind of taking over the box office and sort of a monopoly sense. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but I do think that oftentimes what is being greenlit by studios is safe because 
there's market research like we're doing right now behind it that say that people are interested. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think it is, there is a negative lens to view that through. I think Disney is the best example with redoing live action versions of all of the uh, classic yes. animated films. I think we've all, at least in our circle online, it's it's always like, oh, another one. And there's a lot of critique on how those stories are in a, like just a beat for beat recreation of what came before, but it just happens to be live action this time. Yeah. Uh, one of the responses we got was, quote, in some ways, yes, but I don't know if that's always so bad. I like when nostalgia inspires inspires new stories, but not when it controls and stifles those stories. Yeah, and I think that would be a Disney remake of mm-hmm. an animated classic. Exactly. I think that you and I particularly, I mean, maybe I don't want to speak for you, but myself, every time I go see one of these Disney remakes, I want them to do something new with it and not just make it, you know, quote, woke, <laughs> but kind of do a different take on it and not recreate all these moments that we're so comforted by from our childhood that we recognize from, you know, these Oscar winning animated movies that have stood the test of time. I I feel like every time I go back to those, I'm like, I'm really generally interested in it because of the new take. And I think the movie's not out yet, but I see Mulan and I'm probably, mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like I'm, I, I go back and forth about whether I'm going to see it and everything like that. And it's not even out yet. But I do think that that's potentially a good example of, it looks like they've kind of changed it. They've changed the story a little bit of what we were familiar with, with the animated movie. So yeah. I, and I know that there's controversy behind it, but I do think that it, it raises an eyebrow when they change the story a little bit. They change the look and feel. They sort of uh, bring something new to the story that's not just so nostalgia-based. But then at the same time, they play the song Reflection in the trailer, and it gets gets your your tear ducts going. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'm more interested in it when it is refreshed. Yeah, exactly. I think I think Mulan is a really good example because, you know, not even bringing up the controversies around that film. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember, like when we all found out in the very beginning that it wasn't going to be a musical, everyone was like, whoa, wait, what? <laughs> and then finding out that General Shang wasn't going to be in it, we were also like, whoa, wait, what? So it's like on, on the one hand, but then I, I see the trailer for it and I was like, wow, this I'm I'm actually very interested in this, I think. And we were um, lucky enough to see a clip from it at D23, and that clip was really good. <laughs> and we came away really loving what we were shown from it. But, you know, with as far as like the Disney reboots and stuff like that, I, I haven't seen any of those in theaters. I've watched them later when they've come on, you know, Disney Plus now or Netflix or rented it or something like that. I wasn't – I think I waited to see what reviews of them were like. And then none of them I was like, well, if it's just the same thing, I don't I don't know if that's necessarily for me. And I would wait and see it later. But I think the Malone one is a, is a really good example, because on the one hand, we want something fresh. But then we also want General Shang and, you know, a musical. <laughs> we are fickle. <laughs> yeah. I, I like this response, too. Yes and no. Nostalgia is merely a consequence of cultural staples that change far more quickly than they ever did at any moment, and the blockbuster state of current cinema has found a way to capitalize on it. I think that's true. Yeah, I would have to agree. Absolutely. And then to kind of speak to the Disney remakes, I liked this response too. Quote, I think old ideas are being recycled for younger audiences. I don't think I can blame this exclusively on nostalgia. 
I think, yes, there is. I think that tapping into the market for the younger audience is almost nostalgia based, but recycling stories happens. And in order to present the story in a different way to a younger audience, it's a, it's a, I don't know, it's a good way to get the parents in because they love the story and then also introduce, reintroduce the story or introduce completely to the kids. And it, it's, it's interesting that you say that you never saw them in theaters, but to that I say it's not for you because it was for the kids who had never really accessed the story before. You know, it's interesting. I think it's for both, though. It's like they know that the parents who grew up with that story want to take their kids to see it. Yeah. So I think it is for both. Um, yeah, but you don't have kids. No, but <laughs> <laughs> I still think the story is for me as someone who grew up with those yeah. with those films. I, I don't think it's just for me, but yeah. I think it is also – for me. I think it's interesting. Um, sorry to talk about Asian dramas again, but those stories, if there's like a popular TV show, it's remade like a bajillion times <laughs> in different countries and with different iterations and through different cultural lenses. So I think that this is happening in a lot of different places and for a lot of different mediums. And it's just kind of like finding what works for you and like which version is your favorite, really. So I think like as someone watching like like if like say we go and see Mulan or, or we we're one of the you know first twenty four hour downloads of it when it comes out it could be a situation of like oh I actually think I like the live action Mulan better than the animated Mulan like now that's the story that I attach myself to when I think of Mulan and like a Disney's version of Mulan I think of the live action one as opposed to the animated one I think that could be. I think that's a possibility for some people. I think a lot of us like in our particular age range tend to gravitate towards the animated ones, but that's because it's tied so strongly to our childhoods. Mm -hmm. And that's nostalgia. Yeah. I want to bottle this thought because we actually have a response later in the questions that I think is worth discussing even further. The next question is, do you believe nostalgia is inherently a part of the creation process of media? And this question had 264 responses out of the 268. And nearly 65% of people said yes. About 24% said no. And then we had the remaining uh, percentage, which I'm not doing math here. I'm sorry. (laughs) 20%. I think it's something like 15 or so. We have other answers. And I think this one, I was really interested to see people's responses because I think yes, because my if I had answered this survey, I would have said yes, too, because we're always pulling in what we have experienced, the stories that have spoken to us, that, you know, what we talked about in the last episode of Write What You Know is also writing from experience and also writing from the stories that impacted you and inspired you growing up and and throughout all of your formative years and even later on in life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I liked this response, which I think brings it back to Star Wars. Quote, I think pulling creative inspiration from other sources of creation, but this doesn't have to be nostalgia. Mando wasn't necessarily nostalgia, but it was inspired by other art. End quote. And I think that's super true. I think we've seen that in, in the Mandalorian documentary that's on Disney Plus right now. I think it is proof that they are trying to make it not purely from nostalgia. Yes, it has to be. Again, all of this, nostalgia exists. 
but they're trying to make it. I think there's that amazing quote um, a couple of episodes ago at this time period of the Mandalorian Disney Gallery, um, where John Favreau says something about like we're not trying to be inspired by Star Wars, we're trying to be inspired by things that inspired Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, I genuinely love that, and I've been thinking about that a lot. I don't know if we discussed that in our last episode, Caitlin. I can't remember. Um, we might have just discussed it on Patreon where we're discussing the Mandalorian Disney Gallery series right now. But I I genuinely think that that's a great place to start from because it is starting from nostalgia. It is because your Star Wars is inspired by this nostalgic element that George was inspired by. Right. Mm-hmm. But instead of being you know self-referential, which I think to some extent Star Wars has to do, but it, not being entirely self-referential. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the that's the real charm of the Mandalorian from that perspective. And yeah, I think when John said that, I was like, oh, yes. <laughs> and I think that's so important for Star Wars itself. Like when Star Wars is creating new Star Wars, to go back to different influences and inspiration as the main influence and inspiration, but putting it in the set of Star Wars, I think – is really great. And I think that The Mandalorian has done that really well. Absolutely. I'm actually really surprised that 23% said no. And this is probably my bias speaking because I think in our episode, we talked about how, like we had just said, that it all comes from somewhere. You write what you know. So I'm surprised that this percentage was so large, given the fact that Nostalgia Clouding's current media, the last question, the no was only 10%, while the yes was 81%. And this one, we have 64% yes and uh, 23% no. It's just interesting. Mm -hmm. One of the other answers that I like that was written in for this question was, uh, I believe that nostalgia is an inherent part of creating stories because no one puts pen to paper without their own biases. But I don't believe that nostalgia has to control the author. I think authors who allow nostalgia to overwhelm their writing are self-indulgent, and they blind themselves to hear their story's larger possibilities. And I think that's true. I think it's like this great balance of, you know, writing from where you're inspired from, but then you can't get lost in that world while you're trying to create something new. Yeah, I absolutely agree. When I said, let's put a pin in in the last question to bring up in this one, this is the answer that I wanted to read because I think it's so brilliant. Um, It's long, so get ready. Quote, retelling old stories isn't new. Look at the different versions of A Star is Born or the source material for Shakespeare plays, for example. What is a problem is when nostalgia becomes the story itself, less about meaning that comes from within the story and more about the meaning the audience brings from prior experience. Also, the reliance on nostalgia is is larger than a sociological phenomena in our current economy, example, quote, late-stage capitalism, and has much more to do with the film slash TV and music industries with how the large studios slash labels control the platforms and maximize profit. Reboots exist as the safest possible IP. Investment. Look at the Disney live-action remakes where they're assured vehicle for recognition and under the terms of the original production contracts, don't have to pay to the creatives for music. That's interesting. I actually hadn't thought about that. Uh, Sorry, that's an interruption. (laughs) Um, Okay, the quote begins again. Or how a lot of musical artists have have to tour and rely on audience nostalgia because of the the record labels are the ones who 
make the most profit off streaming platforms. I just haven't, end quote, I haven't really thought about that before, about music profit or I'm not like a music person that much. I'm not like into that side of the fandom, so I don't really think about that a lot. But I liked this. um, The framing of A Star is Born is interesting because there are so many uh, versions of A Star is Born that it has become one of the most duplicated Western stories, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I also like the inclusion of Shakespeare because how many times have we seen Shakespeare, right? Not just the original versions, right? On yeah. on stage, but also certain remakes like 10 Things I Hate About You and Clueless and all She's these the things. Man. She's the man, exactly. <laughs> and all, all these retellings and modernizations and everything. And we're not exhausted by them. In fact, I really love them. And yeah. same with Austin adaptations, right? We just saw Emma, which came out and is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's that is a, a new retelling. There's so many times that we return to stories because we want to see certain actors and what they bring to it, certain directors and certain um, writers and how they adapt certain things. It's nothing, it's nothing new. Yeah. But sometimes it, it's interesting when it's successful and when it's not like with some of the live action Disney remakes. And of course we have little women, which came Mm -hmm. out recently too, which was incredible. And that's been done a million times over. But then you think of something like Spider-Man, which was redone a lot in the two thousands and everyone had uh, a lot of opinions about the Spider-Man remakes. They weren't even remakes. They were reboots. And yeah, I think it's, in that sense, it's like that compression of time of when we're seeing the story again. That seems to play a factor, I think. But with with like these older stories too of, you know, like Austin and, and Little Women and, and Shakespeare, this has a long history of remakes. Whereas the comic books like Spider-Man, maybe not so much, but they also have comic books, which is a completely different like <laughs> genre and things get rebooted in comic books all the time. I don't know. It's it's fascinating what people what the general reception is to some of these things like TV shows being redone in different countries in the same way or uh, a reboot of a movie after or even like something like Little Women being a miniseries versus a movie like what's going to be have a better reception from an audience. I don't know. I think it's all very fascinating. Mm-hmm. And it really is playing almost like a shot in the dark, honestly, <laughs> when you have these kinds of reboots and remakes. So many people bring up money into this conversation because it is inherently part of the conversation. You know, in the last quote I meant I mentioned, I didn't mention, someone else mentioned <laughs> um, late stage capitalism. And in this quote, I'm going to read also mentions money. Quote, Yes, because of money. There was a time where so many nostalgic-fueled projects were made for a quick buck. But we're starting to get away from that, where you can take something nostalgic and make it into something brand new, like She-Ra and the new run of DuckTales, end quote. Mm. I think that's so true. I think as we have just seen, She-Ra just ended. I haven't watched it, but from my timeline on Twitter, everyone loves it. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that it really did take something that I don't think was super, super popular. Um, and that's just from my bias and made it into something new that is super, super popular. And um, yeah, DuckTales too. I think it, DuckTales is like a great example of nostalgic media because that show, I'm actually not sure how many seasons it got in its original run, but its reboot has so many fans, like deep fans. <laughs> and I think they're they're back because the show is being really ingenious and reinventing the wheel a little bit and not just doing the same old, same old um, Scrooge McDuck diving into 
into the pot of gold. Money. You know? yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think I think that we all can conjure up that image in our head and know that that you know is Ducktales, but they're they're doing really funny new stuff, and I think that it it pays off. And so many Ducktales is just one example of many that are totally reinventing what is an older story. Mm-hmm. And as we've as we've talked about, it is just so common, I guess, in in their culture to retell and retell stories so often. And I think that this goes back to it's interesting to when you talk about remakes and everything, which is interesting because I don't know if we really talked about this that much in our original discussion in our last episode, Caitlin, but retellings shouldn't necessarily be 100% looked down upon because it, it's been done for so long before the printing press this is how stories were told you know and i think that it's just it's just the way that stories a retelling of a story when it comes from the order i feel like it can be completely changed completely refreshed and i think everyone is always looking for that and when it gets i think that the quote that I just read that talks about money and the quote before it that all talks about capitalism, I think are really getting into that we can see through what Hollywood is doing <laughs> by yeah. tapping into things that we are nostalgic for. And that's really, to me, I think the difference as a consumer is yeah. I can understand what they're doing. Um, and it doesn't really bring me back to this like old folk tradition of <laughs> retelling a story. I like you how know? you brought it all the way back to oral tradition. You're like, back before the printing press. I mean, it's, it's really important, <laughs> though, because I think that that's like that's a main thing in stories. And like when you study as an English major, you you talk about this. And even with the Bible, like uh, so many different versions of it because of the way that it has been collected mm-hmm. in a collected history, you know. Yeah. And they're retelling and retelling of it all. You know, things are lost, things are gained. And that doesn't necessarily, the Bible is probably like not the best example just because I think that's controversial. But I think that things change and that doesn't necessarily make it better or worse. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think this whole discussion has made me realize, not realize, but you just become more aware of how many remakes there are out there right now. <laughs> yeah. of things that like aren't even, like neither of us have watched Shira or, I mean, I know Voltron was a remake. Um, right. There are just so many. And while you're talking, I was thinking about Sailor Moon, which had like a huge following in the 90s, but kind of strayed from the original manga uh, quite a bit, which I was a huge Sailor Moon fan of the 90s version, but I, I never read the manga. I still haven't. I'm awful, I know. Um, <laughs> I really want to. But when they redid that again, it wasn't a remake of the 90s version. It was actually closer to the source material of the manga. And then with Shira, again, I haven't watched it, but I know like it having like a prominent LGBTQ storyline is a total refresh off the original. Mm-hmm. Um, so like what is like is is the story actually being refreshed? I think is an indicator of whether or not it's being well received by people. If these things that uh don't really work for modern audiences anymore, but they're getting like a completely new spin on them when they're coming back to life. I think that's what's important. And like, I never watched the original Shira. I never watched the original Voltron, but I watched the remake of Voltron. And, you know, it's like bringing in new people at the same time. So then I'm over here watching like comparisons of <laughs> these different Voltron <laughs> series. Like, I don't I don't think I'd actually be interested in watching the original. I think I just want to watch the the new one. Like that that seems to speak to me more. And I kind of feel like I'll have the same response when I watch Shira. Yeah, I just started and I'm in the middle of it. Uh, I just started HBO's version of Watchmen. 
And I noticed when I started it the other night, I'm like four episodes in at the time of recording. By the time this comes out, I'll probably be finished. But <laughs> I I noticed that the description of the the show on HBO referenced nostalgia for the graphic novel. And if it's okay, I'm going to read it. Mm-hmm. Quote, set in an alternate history where mass vigilantes are treated as outlaws, this epic series from Damien Lind- Lindelof embraces the nostalgia of the original groundbreaking graphic novel of the same name while attempting to break new ground of its own. Regina King stars as the lead detective of the Tulsa police force and wife of the mother of three. I just thought it was fascinating that nostalgia is the description of the show. And something that is so great about Watchmen, I'm in the middle of it now, of course, I just think it's really fascinating that HBO is like, this is embracing the nostalgia, but we're giving you something new. Like straight mm-hmm. up, that's what it says. And it is because the show itself is take is taking place uh, like 30 or so years after the graphic novel, which I haven't read in like 10 years. Um, and I think that it, to the point where like I don't even remember it, but you don't necessarily have to for the show. And I think that it is trying to give you something new. And just to kind of bring it back, sorry for straying. I think that <laughs> I think that so many of these things, it really does hinge on are they doing something new? Are they doing something new and creative? And I find Watchmen right now to be so um, topical. Mm-hmm. And I think that if we can talk about Shira, I agree that that's probably what they're doing right now as well. That they are bringing something completely new with an LGBTQ storyline that wasn't in the original or was hinted at but never was. Again, haven't watched it. But um, it really is all about refreshing it, bringing it new, while also respecting the source material. I think that's a key as well. Yeah, I just think it must be really hard. <laughs> <laughs> we said this in our original episode. It, I don't envy creators at all no. for adapting certain material. And I think that's why, um, to insert our own opinions a little bit into this, like we haven't already. Um <laughs> <laughs> why would you even say that i don't know because i i, I always i feel Sorry. like i have to preface every time i'm about to like praise ryan johnson <laughs> okay so <laughs> ryan johnson is an amazing adapter of genre because he totally respects the original mm-hmm. source material by bringing yeah. something new to it you know yeah. and i think that in our responses that we got in the other responses not just the yes or no so many people are like yes and that's why you know the last jedi is great because it totally takes our nostalgia for something and it reinvents the wheel and brings something new to it. But just based like separate from Star Wars, Ryan Johnson has refreshed the time travel genre, the 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 caper murder drama, mystery. the murder mystery. Yeah, exactly. The genre. And I think that he has now made himself a name in Hollywood as someone who can come to potentially, quote, extinct genres and refresh them. And the way that he does that is by tapping into something that he is inherently nostalgic for while also bringing something new to the table. I think it's also something that he inher- like has a lot of love for himself, you know, like yep. if, to bring him into a genre that he, you know, isn't particularly fond of wouldn't really work, I think. But with something, you know, like with Knives Out, he's expressed a lot how much he loves murder mysteries and he like rattles off, you know, like – He's like, I made the font just like Agatha Christie. And he like researched, he like all this, he was like, you know, he's very familiar with the tropes that are in place with that kind of genre. And he was able to use them, but also uh, 
grow them too within it. And I think that's why The Last Jedi works really well for us as viewers. That's what makes it so hard about Star Wars is that Star Wars is a genre. And we have this discussion in our genre episode (laughs) about Star Wars being its own genre, but it's still being created and it's reflective on itself, but it has to also be moving forward. And that's different than, you know, a remake of Sailor Moon or a remake of Voltron or She-Ra or, uh, you know, DuckTales, whatever it is. Like those are remakes. Star Wars isn't being remade. It's continually being, uh, it's, it's supposed to be evolving. And so with nostalgia and Star Wars specifically, when it doesn't feel – when it just feels like there's nostalgia and there's no evolution to like the next stage of this story or this franchise, that's when you feel like you're just kind of treading water, I think. Uh, or like you said, it's when you can see what they're doing. Yeah. I think that there's a deconstruction element to new stories too that build off of nostalgia in a in a successful way. Um and I say deconstruction because I know that this is how Ryan works. He identifies certain uh, tropes and examines why the audience likes it. I think it has been said that Ryan is a very audience-driven director. He likes an audience response. Mm-hmm. And I think he constantly asks, why? Why do you have a response to this? Why do you want to see this in a murder mystery? Why do you want to see this in a Star Wars movie? And for some people that works, especially in Star Wars, and some people it doesn't. Um, but I think that the idea of deconstruction, it's a very postmodern idea of taking something that you love and refreshing it and making you question it, you know, a little Mm -hmm. bit more. And I think that in a world right now, when the timing of, I think since I don't want to bring the mood down, but since 9-11, I think that we've all been questioning everything. You know, I think that as a, in, in, as a culture, it is, and and as a millennial, I think that we are skeptical of everything, you know, mm-hmm. I think that and I think that's part of it. I think media is affected by that as well. And um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think that with nostalgia in terms of nostalgic media, it is part of it. But it's interesting to see what directors, what writers take from it, deconstruct it and rebuild it into something new. Yeah, as opposed to just recreating it again. Yeah, which Disney is totally doing <laughs> yeah. in, in, a, in, in a way and in, to some success and to billions of dollars, but in a less artistic success, you know? Yeah, exactly. Okay, moving on to the next question. Do you seek out stories that have strong ties to familiarity slash nostalgic elements such as remakes, reboots, and comfort media, in parentheses, media from your childhood? So we had 265 responses, and I was surprised by this. Not going to lie. Because 41% said no, 31% said yes, and the rest, which is about 31%, said sometimes, I don't know, maybe. And I'm surprised by this because for me, it's an immediate yes because I always seek out things that are, are comfortable. And to hear that there are 109 people who say no, that they don't seek out things that have strong familiarity, that they're very open to new stories gives me hope, honestly, because I think that I recognize my bias in that I'm interested in something if I'm familiar with it. I'm interested in something that has ties to my childhood. And that's kind of why I'm interested in Star Wars, too. So from a survey of a group of Star Wars fans, I was surprised to see that so many people said no. The majority said no. 
Yeah, I think that is surprising too. I we had a couple of responses that were like, yeah, half and half. Um, yeah, which I think is true, and I think kind of. It, I think that's what I would say. I think I would be in the other category <laughs> and mm-hmm. say, yeah, but only if I like it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm not interested in someone else's nostalgia. And I think that's kind of what we're talking about with, you know, all of these different kind of Netflix reboots, uh, particularly with, with like animated shows like Voltron, Sailor Moon and She-Ra. Um, it's funny because out of the three of those, one of those I had a very nostalgic tie to Sailor Moon, which I watched the reboot. She-Ra, I did not at all. Haven't watched the reboot. Voltron never watched the original watch the reboot like (laughs) (laughs) there's no pattern here (laughs) that's funny here's a quote that I think is, is interesting quote I rather like to watch originals than watch remakes slash reboots especially Disney is annoying me with its live action remakes I love to dwell on nostalgia being a vintage toy collector but I always like to have the original and not the remake but what they are doing with Star Wars or the Jurassic Park franchise is really what I like. New content, new stories. They could get a little more creative, but mixed in with elements of nostalgia, especially those that we as fans get. It's exa- exactly right for me. End quote. I get that. I totally am mm-hmm. with you because especially with the Jurassic Park franchise, we haven't really talked about it, but Jurassic world it's funny because i think i walked into jurassic world wanting jurassic park four but really they were again reinventing the wheel but really leaning on nostalgia and i think the movie does some really interesting things and i think it is probably going under a sort of rediscovery process right now at least that's kind of what i see in my film youtube circle (laughs) it feels like a lot of people are doing jurassic world videos right now it's not ever going to be my favorite jurassic park movie i think Everyone knows who listens to the show knows that I'm a huge Jurassic Park fan. But again, I when I walked into Jurassic World, I was like, give me a new story, but like be as brilliant as the original. <laughs> and I recognize that's wow, not ever going to be. an expectation. <laughs> like Michael Crichton isn't here. Like we're not going to get the same level. And I just have to know that. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I think that I can, I still by reserving myself that like that's never going to happen I can still enjoy a movie where I can get a big popcorn and enjoy the big dinosaurs (laughs) and the characters because that's why I'm here you know (laughs) funny Charles Jurassic Park obsession coming out I think every every three to five episodes That's pretty I just watched it this weekend, probably last week too. I watch it all the time. Guys. It's like it just keeps tally up whenever Charlotte mentions Jurassic Park, whenever Kayla mentions the K drama, like just start like <laughs> tracking these other things. Um, this was an answer that I liked. Uh yes, but I'm becoming increasingly embarrassed and selective about it, as in the stories that they seek out. We don't have enough new things in this century to reboot later. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of have to cynically laugh at and cynically agree with too. I just thought that one was funny. I like how someone said a little to warm the heart just reminds you that nostalgia can be quite cozy. I like this one that said, quote, strong no. If I want comfort media, I watch the original media and I want to be told new and fresh stories I've never heard before. A strong no. I'm I'm surprised by the strong no, guys. I like the aggressive <laughs> no. I like the aggressive. Me too, no. me too. I like the firm stance. Yeah. There was this answer too that said, 
Yes and no. I always want to check out stories that are being done in a new medium or something that is readdressing a failed adaptation in the past, such as the new Avatar live-action series and Percy Jackson live-action series that are coming after failed movie adaptations. But I don't know if I really, quote, seek them out. I do love to revisit universes I love, but I always want to see books and TV series getting the adaptations they deserve. But when something was done well originally in the medium it is, again, being adapted into, I'm less interested. So when something has already been done in live action, for example, I don't want to see it done again in that same medium. I'd be happy to return to that universe, but only if there is more story to tell, and a story that says something rather than existing for the sake of just returning to said universe. I really like this response. It reminds me of The Last Jedi and having something like The Last Jedi manga adaptation uh, or even novelizations of films, too, I think is a great way of putting this, of just having like turning something from movie series, movie into TV series or TV series into book or comic form. I think that's a really interesting way to look at it. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that my brain works this way, too. Sometimes I really struggle to separate book adaptations I think a lot of people do book adaptations into movies. And every time I sit down to watch a book adaptation that's a movie, I have to separate the source material because and I'm I'm pretty firm in this. I think that in like a book is its own art and a movie needs to be its own art. And yes, they're inspired by each other, but in one is an adaptation. But I think that the adaptation, if it takes certain liberties, sometimes those liberties can be successful when they wouldn't have been successful in the book. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a pretty controversial opinion, especially when you get um, like into the semantics and the specifics of it all. But like specifically, I think a good example of this is Game of Thrones. I think that I've never read the Game of Thrones books. I probably won't. But I think that in some way, one can <laughs> respect the series and also respect the books, which are two different things, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that we can all think about the certain liberties that were taken in the Game of Thrones series and judge them separate of the book themselves, you know, or even like a movie like The Perks of Being a Wallflower, which is a fantastic book and a fantastic movie. And those two things, while Stephen Chbosky was involved in both of them, I think that they're both separate mediums entirely almost and should be viewed as two separate art forms. And despite them being essentially the same story, Sometimes, I don't know, I feel like things, I feel like movies are different than books. And that's like the most simple sentence. But um, basically, just to kind of round this all out, I definitely relate to this because I think that it is almost medium specific, you know, and I think that I do seek out certain stories like this. Yeah, because different mediums have different restrictions on them and also different benefits to them. Like with a book, if it's told from the first person perspective, you get the benefit of really being in that main character's head. But when you relay that to screen, you don't necessarily have that same vantage point from that character's perspective. So you lose some of that, but you do get to gain the perspective of other characters that perhaps you weren't able really to see what was going on with them in in the original book. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that is so important and something that you look forward to so much. I think The Hunger Games is a good example of this as well, where The Hunger Games books, which are told, I think, entirely in Katniss's point of view, right? I think so. Are, yeah. I think that in the movies, some of this 
I think that it, it could have been done a little bit better, especially in the later movies, about refocusing characters that we were interested in because the story itself isn't necessarily told from Katniss's point of view. I think that the the director and the camera movements try, but it it loses its it loses it a little bit. And I think it, it's I think that the the movie itself probably would have done better if we showed Peta a little bit more, you know. And we were able to see Peta's torture in the final uh, two movies a little bit more in order to understand what was going on there. I think that there are certain aspects of um, movie or book to movie adaptations that would benefit from uh, a refocusing. And I'm always intrigued by that and interested in seeing how they're going to do it. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's it's hard to translate these things into new mediums. And so seeing what does kind of make the cut, whether it's from film to TV series or book to movie or movie to, you know, a, a novelization or something like that, it's always interesting. I mean, that's what we've loved about Star Wars novelizations is seeing what else is in there. Yes, yeah, <laughs> that's a perfect example. Like, yeah. I need it. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's a the deleted scene chase too that I'm into. So but Yeah, yeah. Charlotte loves her deleted scenes. <laughs> but mainly just from the production standpoint though. I think that it's it's always interesting what was going through creators' mind when they wrote the scene and why they cut it and everything. You guys know that. I've talked about it before. <laughs> um, <laughs> basically, I think that I think this is interesting. I just have to go back to this. I'm really still surprised by 41% saying no from this. I think I, I am surprised. I'm just really surprised because I think that and I think market researchers would be surprised that the sample size has strong no on this as well, because I think they're <laughs> counting on that in order for people to buy movie tickets. Well, I think at this point, the the question, too, is if you had asked this question 10 years ago, what mm. would people's responses have been? Whereas now we have like we've been going through there are so many reboots and not just the classics, you know, Shakespeare and uh, Austin and Little Women and stuff like that, like like DuckTales got rebooted. <laughs> You know, like no, no shade to Ducktales, but like, who would have thought <laughs> ten yeah. years ago? You know, so I think I think this is probably this this is something that's a reflection of just how much there is on the market right now that is that is based pretty heavily in nostalgia. And I think that answer was like, we're not going to have anything to reboot in the next fifty years. <laughs> yeah, I think that's where this forty one percent is coming from. Yeah, a lot of people say a mix too, which yeah. I know we've talked about, but I'm definitely a mix. Yeah, but I am too. In in that I would say yes, because I do seek it out, you know. And I think that's we probably should have had a sometimes answer, which would probably dominate everything. Mm -hmm. But I think we wanted to keep it a little bit more cut and dry. Um yeah. and what, what one would gravitate to. So again, surprise that someone would be like, No, and move on. <laughs> you know. <laughs> And no yeah. shade. I'm just surprised by the um, the choice, really. Yeah. It really is. We, looking at our little pie chart on, on our Google survey, it really is kind of one third more or less says no, one third says yes, and one third provided an extra answer mm -hmm. or a more in-depth answer, which was a lot of, you know, like sometimes I do. So 
it is kind of evenly split actually between everyone who responded. Yeah. Okay, so our next question was, do you think Easter eggs, homage, and other nostalgic elements are important for the story as a whole? And we had 266 responses out of 200. And oh, OMG, someone was filling out this while we were <laughs> recording. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so we have 269 responses wow. as opposed to 268. Thank you, person. Um <laughs> So out of maybe they're still filling it out. I wonder if it's even like tallied. Okay, whatever. <laughs> so the question, I'm sorry, I'll repeat the question. The question is, do you think Easter eggs, homage, and other nostalgic elements are important for the story as a whole? And a resounding 63.5% of people said no. 15% said yes. And then the remaining 15, 20 said something else <laughs> filled in an answer yeah i i'm not surprised by the huge no um mm-hmm. i also think no personally but i think i'm more surprised by the resounding 15 percent yes yeah and i'm thankful for the people that responded in a longer answer because i think this is a pretty complicated one i probably would have responded in a long answer as well i think here's a response that i like quote i think it really depends on the story you're trying to tell does it move the story in a good way and not in a fan service way? Solo and Rogue One are good examples of using Easter eggs and homages in a subtle way that really develops a good story. Yeah. And then one of the other answers we got, which I loved how they phrased this, said, no, but they do give enjoyment and thus affect, tie, or even ground the story as a whole sometimes. Which I think that's really important when we're talking about nostalgia. No, maybe things like Easter eggs aren't necessary, but they do make people smile. Yeah, and that cannot be discounted. I think no, that no, it, it's so f- when you go to the movies, you know, you can go to a movie and expect to cry. I think that there that's definitely an experience that we all want. We want a cathartic experience. We want to <laughs> like right, I think that when we go to a, a movie you sit we want down an emotional with your popcorn to watch the big dinosaurs and you cry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Honestly, like yes. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that we want an emotional response, whether that's happy, whether that's sad, whether that's somewhere in the middle. And I think Easter eggs can assist to this, right? I think that they can mm-hmm. be like a wink, wink, really, of, you know, yeah, we appreciate you. Thanks for being a fan for 40 years. You know, I, I at the end of the day, like, there's really nothing wrong with that, just as long as it doesn't take away from the story, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, someone else said... They're more like seasoning or window dressing. I, I wish I had had all of y'all's descriptions when we did our last episode. <laughs> I know. They're so good. <laughs> they're more like seasoning or window dressing. Just right and it sets the mood. Go too far and it's a pandering remake. Attempt to engage that nostalgia in a challenging or transformative way and you risk making a real movie half your fans wait. <laughs> <laughs> but I, uh, I really like this answer altogether, but I really like the first half. I, you know, I just envision like a story maker over a pot, like cooking, right? And the nostalgia is the salt. And if like the lid opens, then you're done for. It's gone. <laughs> you have mm-hmm. to throw it out. But, you know, sometimes you've already cooked it this far and you, you can't go back. So you have to eat it anyway and it's too salty. <laughs> but salt is good. Okay, but you know when things are too salty and it's yeah, too it's true salty. And it's hard to take them away. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's true. It's like impossible. Yeah. But again, just saying, salt is good. Yeah, salt so, and that's what he said. It's the, yeah. the seasoning. It's the window dressing. But you got to 
it's kind of like, you know, when you're <laughs> like, you can always add more, but it's harder to take it out. Like when you're talking yeah, about that's what I was just saying. Like, yeah, it's how yeah. You, you can always add more. But once it's in there, I mean, I, I guess you can edit it out in a movie. We're really talking about I can edit there. it out. <laughs> <laughs> We're really talking about cooking here. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, I liked this response too. Quote, when they're used wisely. As someone whose childhood was the original trilogy, it was it was about the filmmakers playing homage to the serials that excited them as children as well as classic films. They were in the vein of the golden age of Hollywood, but you didn't experience those movies as a checklist of nostalgic elements when you were expected to have that baggage. It was both an homage and an introduction to those works slash parts of film history. End quote. I think we can all agree on this. By all, I mean you and me, Caitlin. In the <laughs> all Star of Wars present today. Star Wars has been an introduction into so many different mediums, so many different films, so many different ways of viewing film Mm -hmm. that I think that especially the original trilogy was an introduction into the golden age of Hollywood for me. Mm -hmm. And I think that because of that, it's hard for me to be like, homages are wrong and original content is the only way forward because one has to honor what came before. It's the only reason why they're still making movies now because of Mm -hmm. said successful things that were out before in order to kind of pay back. I think these things that have inspired us so much, then we must include them in our art, you know? And I think that I I think about that a lot. And I think, I don't even think it's, it's always the case of paying back. It's just that it's so, some of these stories are just so intrinsically a part of SNL and especially filmmakers talking about films specifically, they're like that's their lives you know so these things are just these things that really inspire them they're embedded in them i think for good filmmakers i would want that Mm -hmm. and i think that is true of good filmmakers i also liked this quote because i think we're talking about the positive side i think we should lean on the negative side a little bit where we have this one that says no (laughs) and in fact i hate this stuff even in my fave franchises it breaks the fourth wall and makes me feel patronized end quote I think that's a good word because sometimes you do feel like that. Sometimes I can feel the emotional manipulation of this is what you su- you're supposed to feel here. And if you don't, maybe you're not a real fan. I've definitely felt that before in other franchises and in Star Wars. And I like this this concept and this description that this person gave of it breaks the fourth wall because it does break the fourth wall. It In a galaxy far, far away, we're supposed to be just that in a galaxy far far away in a fairy tale and when that is completely kind of uh shattered for a second it makes us remember that we're in a movie theater or in our living room and sometimes that's not the best feeling you know yeah i i don't know if i agree with this i've never felt that way about an easter egg particularly but i don't know Again, what's our definition of Easter egg? Like we were talking about this, like comparing the last, uh, the Force Awakens and the Rise of Skywalker with the whole training orb and how it's paused on the training orb <laughs> for yeah. way too long. That breaks the fourth wall, and I totally agree with this comment. That makes me feel patronized. Like, yeah, that's exactly you, what I was thinking about. You saw a new hope, right? Yeah, remember like, how you we remember that? Remember that? Yeah, Not before there were more of them, that was the original Star Wars. <laughs> I think a good example of feeling a little bit patronized is how Chewie got the medal at the end of The Rise of Skywalker. And again, I honestly can't believe we didn't mention this in our last episode. Mm -hmm. 
because it is so blatant. It is such a, here's this fan discussion that was kind of a joke, and we're going to put it in in the movie as if it makes sense within the confines of the story. And we're going to spend like a significant amount of time on it, like two minutes of screen time on this thing. I... And it, it really frustrates me because I think if that, like my parents were confused again i use my parents a lot because i think that they're examples of star wars fans to me who have seen every movie on opening night and understand it all and are really interested in like watching the mandalorian and all these things and obviously are parents to me so they're pretty involved (laughs) and i think that it's but yet they were like what was that and i had to explain it to them and I don't think a movie should do that. You know, I think that you shouldn't have to have a like it should be explainable within the movie. But instead, it's Maz giving Chewie a medal after 42 years, I guess. And it feels like a gold star. It even feels like a gold star as a fan of like, here, Ugh. here you go. You talked about this on Facebook, you know, seven <laughs> years ago. no right that's how it felt and I think that you know it might have been meaningful for some people maybe it was meaningful for um Peter Mayhew's family and I I understand that and I understand if that's the choice of honoring him and things like that uh but as a fan it felt like to go back to this quote of breaking the fourth wall and making me feel patronized it was like here care about this thing that you barely cared about I think a lot of people actually did care about that, though. Yeah, I think so, too. It's I'm just not one of them. No, I'm not either. And so spending so much time on it in the film. No, thank you. <laughs> that was a long pause. <laughs> <laughs> I just the thing is, it's like something like that. I, I feel like I said, was really important to a lot of people enough. So to the point that it like reached JJ Abrams ears, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, and you, you know, maybe that was something that was really meaningful to him when he was watching Star Wars for the first time. I don't know, but yeah, when... which is, I think I'd respect. Yeah, I can, if, I understand. If he said things, that, but... <laughs> which I don't think he has. <laughs> Where is JJ Abrams? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I, but it's when and well don't worry we'll be talking about the rise of skywalker later but it's when you feel like everything is coming from a very specific film like that nostalgia is pulled from a very specific place especially with something as far reaching as star wars that's when it it just it for fans like us for people that that's not something like like what, what we're talking about here is like only original trilogy nostalgia right um where there wasn't really anything for uh, the TV shows or the second trilogy or anything like that. You know, I think there was Skywalker. A lot, a lot of you said that it felt very much like it was only for original trilogy fans and that's it. And so when you are looking at, like, if you look at a film like the rise of Skywalker and, you know, say there are 15 pieces of nostalgia and 14 of them are for the original trilogy specifically, you it just, it, it, it makes me bitter. <laughs> it makes me a little bitter because it's not that I don't love the original trilogy. I do. Is it awful that Chewie got the medal? No. Uh, like, it's, it's not bad. But you just – you feel some sort of way about it because it just – if the balance feels uneven and you don't 
a filmmaker should never be beholden to make something like one-to-one. Like with Star Wars, it's not like you need to pull seven things from the prequel trilogy, seven things from the original trilogy, three things from each TV show. Like to make it so cut and dry like that is not good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't think any of us would want that for Star Wars. But when all of your like long pause nostalgia moments or Easter eggs are all on things from one set of films, it doesn't feel great as a fan who likes the other films too, <laughs> when there's only one that feels represented. Yeah, I think that in thinking about this, I think about how JJ was kind of roasted for not letting Leia hug Chewie at the end of The Force Awakens. Yeah. And he apologized for it. And I think that this was his like number one, I think this was his like kind of don't worry guys, I remember Chewie. <laughs> moment because he really back in the force awakens time period he did this whole like kind of apology tour about that he brought it up all the time many quotes about yeah that was a real blind spot i didn't think about that that moment was really about leia and ray which i respect and it didn't really bother me that much you know every time i watch it i'm i think about jj in that moment (laughs) but um i do i can kind of see how those two are correlated right and I, i wonder do you see that too I do. Do you think JJ will do an apology tour for uh, no. Ray Palpatine at any time in his life? <laughs> no. Anyway. <laughs> and second, I think to your point about it being a specific original trilogy sort of Easter egg or nostalgic element, if you will, I think that perhaps one of the reasons why fans were sort of like, eh, we're really spending all this time on this because – um. And it's not even that much time, but in the grand scheme of The Rise of Skywalker, where things move at like a breakneck pace, it's like, I think that's inherently part of the issue, where it was like, you generally feel like not a lot of things were spent enough time on. The movie moves so fast that there's no time to breathe, and yet there's still time for this, but there isn't enough time for Rey to process her being a Palpatine. There isn't enough time for Rey to mourn Ben. There isn't enough time for any words about Ben to be said. Um, all these things, right? I think that, and so then when we have this moment with Chewie, which happens to be at the end of the movie after Ben Solo dies, so you're feeling this sort of pain and a little bit of a confusion, right? I think yeah. that it's it's only sort of that's where things get a little questionable, and that's just my take on it. Of course, everyone else has their own take on it, but that's sort of how I see that scene. Is number one. A JJ apology. Number two, the reason why I don't really like it is because I'm like, oh, okay, we're spending time here. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're kind of, I feel like we're kind of edging into the next question. So yeah, let's go we, for it. Yeah. So the next question was, in Star Wars, do you believe nostalgia is clouding present day filmmakers and storytellers? We had 268 responses to this question. And Nearly 71% of you said yes. (laughs) 9% of you said no. And then the other 20% were an other response. I feel like I'm really anxious in this episode about having to do quick mental math. (laughs) (laughs) We should have had a calculator right in front of us. This is so bad. I'm like, okay, 70 plus 9. Okay, that's roughly 80. Okay. (laughs) This one's definitely the easiest one. And I was still stressed about it. <laughs> I know. I know. But can you believe that, you know, 71 people, 71% of people say 
Yes. It's nostalgia is clouding present day Star Wars filmmakers and storytellers. I think when our most recent film, The Rise of Skywalker, people feel that that did not use nostalgia well, overwhelmingly. I think this answer is expected. Yeah, I agree. I just think that it is a strong. Yes, very strong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very strong. And the the other answers that we got, people said yes for Tross, no for other things, which Mm -hmm. I I think is important. Like someone said – I definitely think it did in Trust, but I'm not seeing it clouding the narrative thus far in The Mandalorian or with the final season of The Clone Wars. Yeah, someone said, depends on the creator. It informs some and clouds others. And I think this is that's a perfect response. It's succinct because it really, it does depend on the creator. Mm-hmm. And it depends on the artist behind the film, the TV show, and how they use the nostalgia. I think we've seen this so much in The Mandalorian. Um even in the most recent Disney Gallery episode on The Mandalorian, there was a discussion about the music and how Ludwig Gorenson he talked about how he wasn't interested in, I think it was John Favreau as well who said it as well, about he, you know, he wasn't interested in doing these, quote, shortcuts to instill sort of nostalgia about certain themes. And I think when in our last episode, we talked a lot about the X-Wing scene on Octo in The Rise of Skywalker and how that didn't work for us because we felt like it was sort of like musical manipulation and it was like, here, feel this. Mm-hmm. And I think that in this particular behind the scenes episode of The Mandalorian, they really spoke to the fact that by using the term shortcuts, which is something that I hadn't really heard of before, I thought it was really interesting because it is a shortcut. When you use certain leitmotifs, I think that you are expected to have an emotional response. That's the purpose of it. It's supposed to clue you in on the character and everything. But when you use it, when you overuse it almost, I think that it becomes problematic and it becomes a manipulation. And I really liked them referring to it as a shortcut. And that's something that uh, Ludwig wasn't interested in at all in creating in The Mandalorian, except for within his own themes, which have completely pushed the boundaries of how we understand Star Wars music. Mm-hmm. And I really respect that. And I think that this is a purpose of where I don't think that nostalgia is clouding the filmmakers at all or the the musicians, really. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that John Favreau and Dave Filoni respected that and really wanted that. And this is something that I think Kevin Kiner was really aware of as well in his composing of themes for Clone Wars and Rebels. He was, you know, tentative to always use those John Williams-ish themes and um, how he was going to weave them in. It was always a choice and an undertaking. Yeah, I remember the first time, I think, when they, I think it was when Leia was in Rebels, they talked in the Rebels recon about using that theme and how it like Kevin was always very judicious about when they were going to use something like the force theme or any of the, you know, big star Wars themes. And I really liked how John described it. I think describing nostalgia, something like an Easter egg or an homage as the, a shortcut to an emotional response from the audience is a really apt way to put it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think it's I think it's great that they that they are aware of that within the Mandalorian. I really responded to how he described that. I think that when we first saw the trailer for the Mandalorian, 
the only thing people could talk about was the music. Yeah. I just remember afterwards it was like, did you hear that end? Like the I can still hear it, the end no when they when they close out the trailer and they did the like this this little itty bitty like eight bars of of the main Same. Mandalorian theme. And everyone was like, Whoa, that's so cool. <laughs> like, <laughs> I've never heard anything like that. And I think that's true, like with um like the Mandalorian is very different from something like Clone Wars or Rebels. Especially Clone Wars is really more tied to, you know, saga characters like Anakin and Obi Wan. So the music Music is gonna, I think, follow that theme a little bit more. But even having room for like great <laughs> songs within the animated scores, like Ahsoka Leaves, Kanan and the Fire, Hera Soars, the, the like the theme song for Skytalkers is from Rebels. And I think we like I think Kevin Kiner in some ways had a harder job than Ludwig to be able to do something. Ludwig, I'm sorry. Um to be able to do something that is within the realm of Star Wars, like closer to it and still like deciding when to actually use those big themes, when to create his own and when to do some variation of a Star Wars theme. In some ways, I think that was probably a harder job than creating something brand new, which of course has its own challenges, but you know, something to think about. Yeah, so many people in these responses, it's almost kind of crazy how many people said the same thing about, yes, it did with The Rise of Skywalker, but it didn't with The Mandalorian and and The Clone Wars, especially recently. You know, so many people are like, movies, yes, TV, less so. Yeah. And I, I think that's fascinating. We're really in a time period right now where TV is so, like Star Wars TV is so experimental and is able to tell almost long form stories, right? In a way that Star Wars, the movies might actually feel like they need to do these sort of quote shortcut things in order to make you feel something. In a way that the TV show, as a long, a long, you know, we always talk about how Dave Filoni is playing the long game. In a long game sort of situation, these sort of emotions can be slowly ripped out of you, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that it's it's interesting how. With the conclusion of the Skywalker saga, I have to empathize with, and we've talked about this, with how difficult it is to complete the saga. It must be so difficult. And it is something that I cannot even imagine doing, right? Mm -hmm. But I still, it's so it would be sort of tempting to be like, we want them to feel this. We want our audience to feel nostalgic, to reflect on the saga before. So let's use these themes that kind of strike a chord with everyone. Let's yeah. use these themes that are so nostalgic. Let's talk about this thing that people love. You know, I, I can see how that's tempting. Yeah, absolutely. I really liked this answer kind of talking about the film, the differences between films where they said – Sometimes I think Tross was a cluster, not sure that nostalgia was the reason. I could accept the nostalgia in The Force Awakens, but Tross was just terrible. I think that's a really interesting way of putting it. Like I could accept the nostalgia in The Force Awakens because this this person could see it doing something bigger. It wasn't, but when you when you perceive a film as just bad in a lot of different areas, then it's like these nostalgia moments stand out even more (laughs) as just like part of why you don't like the film. Whereas with something like Force Awakens, we can look at it and be like, oh, you know, some of that was really heavy handed with the nostalgia. But overall, we have a really positive view of The Force Awakens. Yeah, I'm. It is really interesting the whole Force Awakens, the Rise of Skywalker discussion. Mm-hmm. I definitely prefer one or the one over the other. 
Yeah. <laughs> and and both really pull on the nostalgia themes to the point where The Force Awakens even we talked about this in our last episode. It's it's center to the story. Yeah. And I kind of wonder if The Rise of Skywalker would have been more successful if it had refocused in the same way that The Force Awakens did by Luke being the MacGuffin. Like, I still think that maybe C-3PO should have been purely the MacGuffin. Whatever was inside C-3PO should have been. And I know it, it was. It was. Don't get me wrong, because he was able to translate. But I still think it could have been more. It could have been a little different. It could have been surprising in a reflective nature to the rest of the story. And I think that that would be a way to kind of recognize that, yes, the mass media is super interested in nostalgia. And we... In the only way to tell this start, this 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 ending of a story that is so inherently nostalgic and so tied up with people's childhoods, and something that people love, and we talk about how it's Star Wars is about family, so it has this this emotional response that is felt in so many countries around the world. I do wonder if the story kind of focused that a little bit more, if it would have been more successful. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I'm not I mean, sure. I mean, I think that I think that the part of one of the things that I just cannot wrap my mind around with The Rise of Skywalker is sometimes the the complications around the the plot. There's just so much plot in that movie. Mm-hmm. And if it really was focused on one thing about like unlocking whatever was in C3PO, not just a translation that had to be bypassed after getting like two separate things, you know. <laughs> I think that it it might have been in the same way that we view The Force Awakens is recognizing the nostalgia and how that works for us, it could have yeah. worked. Well, if it, if it had, I think if in any world, if it had moved away from the plot and onto its characters, yeah. even just a li- little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I think a lot of these responses, they're all, a lot of them are saying the same thing of yes, trust, no to others. And someone said, I think trust is just the outlier, which I think is true. And that honestly makes me f- like gives me hope <laughs> mm-hmm. because I think, you know, it's it's easy to feel really as big Star Wars fans. Obviously, if, if you guys followed us online from December to February, probably saw a lot of our, our mental breakdowns about drawings. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> <laughs> But and I think it it was really easy to kind of get locked in that like, wow, this is Star Wars now, you know, and very kind of tunnel focused on the on the thing that had just come out that, you know, for you and I, we just did not respond positively to. And I think hearing something like that, remembering this bigger picture of this is just an outlier. And though there definitely are elements of bad nostalgia throughout other Star Wars films, not just The Rise of Skywalker, it being like the rise of Skywalker is singular. It's just one piece of star Wars and um, it doesn't define all of it for how it uses nostalgia. Yeah, absolutely. I, I liked this response too, which was an outlier. I think we've been reading a lot of yeses. This was a no, they don't believe nostalgia is clouding present day filmmakers and storytellers. They say, quote, I think Disney as a corporation is what's forcing nostalgic things in there to make money and getting in the way of filmmakers End quote. Mm. And I think there's definitely an argument for that. And perhaps that's what happened with The Rise of Skywalker too. I don't think we'll ever know. Yeah. But I, I I mean, I totally see that. <laughs> so yeah. especially by the other examples of um, the remakes and everything, you know, 
Yeah. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. I do remember something from the Mandalorian gallery, the Disney. Yeah. The, yeah. yeah. The <laughs> <laughs> in one of the first episodes, John Favreau had said that because they, if you haven't watched it yet, I highly encourage you to. But they talk a lot about the different technology and the literally the different process of making this film was or making this TV series was very very innovative. And John says basically. I've been working through all these pieces of things on different projects that I've been involved in, like The Lion King, The Jungle Book, and some other stuff, and like Iron Man and stuff. He's like, but I needed someone, I needed some studio to have the time and money to let me perfect this and and do the next iteration of what I've been working on through filmmaking and in this collaborative process. And The Mandalorian, Lucasfilm, had the time and money to do something different with the creation process of The Mandalorian. And I would say that it was resoundingly successful. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think that anyone can argue otherwise in terms yeah. of a lot of different factors. Yeah. So that it, would determine it, success. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's, it, I, I absolutely agree with that about it being a money thing and about wanting there to be certain elements that they think are going to fill movie theaters. But again, there's the other side of it too that something like The Mandalorian was given room to do something different and mm-hmm. it was really successful for that so so the next question that we asked was which star wars film slash tv show do you think handles nostalgia the most effectively overall and with 267 responses this is so interesting guys <laughs> okay so with 39 percent, the last jedi handles nostalgia most effectively overall followed by the mandalorian with 15%, then Rogue One with 13%, then the Clone Wars TV show with 10%, Rebels with 6%, Solo with 3%, The Force Awakens with 6%, sorry, I left that out before, Revenge of the Sith with 2%, Return of the Jedi with 0.5%, Revenge of the uh, the Phantom Menace with 0.5%, A New Hope, which I think is an interesting answer. But I guess that speaks to our discussion about how George was informed by his own nostalgia in mm-hmm. creating the pastiche of A New Hope. So that was is 2.2%. And then The Rise of Skywalker with four votes of 1.5%. What do you think, Caitlin? I, yeah, this, this one was the one that I was watching the most as our responses were coming in. Because in the beginning, it was it was pretty much overwhelmingly The Last Jedi and then The Mandalorian. Like, I think most of the people that filled this out pretty early, those were the two answers. But now, you know, 270 responses in, it's a lot more colorful, which mm-hmm. I think this this is what it should be. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is – I think this is good. This is I – f- I feel like this is a sign of a healthy franchise. <laughs> you know if if people are and the thing is too it's like we have something from the sequel trilogy we have something from the anthologies and then the an animated tv show and a live action tv show are kind of taking the biggest pieces of these of this pie and i think that i think that's a really good sign (laughs) you know that people are responding to nostalgia positively across different mediums and that even though The Last Jedi does have the most at, you know, almost 40% of our of our uh, 
responses. I still think that seeing these other things get a good number of responses is really telling and really good. And I I would also say that our audience has... I think by lar- by and large has a bias towards the Last Jedi itself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we should have th- said that in the beginning. Yeah, because this is our audience. <laughs> yeah, I, and I know that's obviously I'm not I'm not speaking for every single one of you listening, <laughs> but just from the things that we've done through our surveys that we've done, and also through people in our Discord as well as who we interact with online on Twitter and stuff, I would say that a lot of people, who, the majority of people who listen to us, are big fans of the Last Jedi. Of course, this is not all-encompassing. This is not a blanket statement. But I would say that that explains why we have this higher percentage of The Last Jedi, which I expected, honestly. So I was really glad to see kind of these bigger pieces being given out to different mediums and different types of shows. Yeah. Yeah, completely. I I think you're spot on with your analysis about this is a sign of a healthy franchise. I completely agree and I'm surprised by some of them and I'm I totally respect how some people said things that I am surprised by you know and I really really am happy that the nostalgic elements worked well for in all these different mediums across um TV shows about across movies across time periods what I think is funny is <laughs> Attack of the Clones is not on no one voted for Attack of the Clones no one voted for resistance either. I know. <laughs> <laughs> or the Clone Wars movie, which I think would have been interesting if I someone don't... voted for that. Did we have the Clone Oh, we did have the Clone yes. Wars. Yes. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, I don't I wouldn't have voted. I don't know if I would vote for the Clone Wars movie. <laughs> yeah. I don't I actually don't know if I I don't know if I think resistance was super nostalgic. Honestly. No, I don't think it was at all. Yeah, so I, I get that it didn't have any responses. I don't think that that's a bad thing. Um, I am. I like. I would love to know people who answered Revenge of the Sith. What is nostalgic about Revenge of the Sith for you, mm. and for the Phantom Menace? Like, is it just your memory of it, or is it there something within the film that makes you feel nostalgic? Because I think those are two different things. I mean, I would say that the movie did an excellent job of closing the saga at the time. Yeah. And it it's something we talked about in our last episode about the last scene in Revenge of the Sith and how it really all tied everything together and wasn't heady in its connections, yeah. you know? So I can see how that's a, a good answer. Yeah. I think another reason why The Last Jedi gets 39% of the vote um, in the majority is because The Last Jedi has, is a movie that literally has the line in it of if you strip away the myth and look at its deeds, like it, <laughs> the context <laughs> of the last Jedi is about stripping away the nostalgia. <laughs> and I think that it's easy to make that, that, you know, we think that the last Jedi is a, you know, an A plus film. So to, to make that link, I think it's easy to, yeah, but to then do that. At the same time also leans quite heavily into it with scenes like yeah. and Yoda. Yep, it does a really good job at it. I just have in to say, in my opinion, yeah, I I agree. I just have to say before I forget that uh, quite a number of you in the free responses referred to the prequel trilogy as the second trilogy, and Charlotte texted me some of them. She goes, "You're changing people's minds <laughs> about 
referring to the prequel trilogy as the second trilogy. And I loved it. It was it was so great. To all of you who do that when Charlotte does not, thank you. I see you. (laughs) (laughs) I read those. I loved it. It really brightened my day. Keep on pushing the second trilogy uh goal. I don't know what to call it. Um, <laughs> Caitlin's crusade. Yeah, second like like trilogy movement. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's totally a movement. <laughs> I don't know. So uh, thank you to all of you who did it. It really meant a lot to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, should we move on to the next one? Yes. Okay. So our next question was, which Star Wars film TV show do you think handles nostalgia the least effectively overall? And we had 266 responses to this question. And 84.6% was The Rise of Skywalker. We had 6.4% to The Force Awakens. We had 3.5% to Solo. 1% to Rogue One. 1% or half percent to the Clone Wars movie, 1% to the Clone Wars TV show, half percent to Rebels, 0.8% to Resistance, 0.8% to The Phantom Menace, 0.8% to Attack of the Clones, and that was the last one. The 0.8%, I just, I don't know why that like threw me off, but (laughs) 0.8% to those things. So this one... Honestly, I was not surprised at. So, yes, 80, 85% round up for The Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, it's interesting. And then the second largest one was The Force Awakens. So here we have t- two J.J. Abrams movies. Yeah. Taking the top spot for handling nostalgia the least effectively. It's interesting. And then after that, it's Solo. hmm Which I think... It's, I don't know. It's, I think this question generally skews to media that has been created in the past, you know, six years. Yeah. So I, I I understand that that's the responses that we get, even though we have a small amount um, of like Attack of the Clones and um, The Phantom Menace and things like that. But it's interesting because I think the, the undertone of this question is in the Disney era, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think even though it's not always, because that's not how we framed it in our previous episode, but I do think that that's like the first thing you think of. And I also would say the rise of Skywalker. So yes, I would pick that. So I'm not surprised that it's the majority with 85%. Yeah. I almost wish we had had a, if I would, if I were to do this survey again, I would have another question under that that said, if you answered Rise of Skywalker, or basically I would ask the question again, but without the Rise of Skywalker as an option to mm, see. Like second, the, second best. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, reading the responses, we got a couple of questions ago about people talking about Rise of Skywalker as an outlier. I think this chart really shows that, you know, whereas with most effectively with that question, we've got a lot of colors represented on the pie charts and this one we don't. And so, and I think we expected that with this question. I don't know if I expected it to be this overwhelmingly for the Rise of Skywalker. So I, I kind of wish we had done another question without it to see maybe more of an even, to really kind of see people's opinions about the rest of of Star Wars films and TV shows. Yeah. I mean, we have a question later about 
the cringe moment of nostalgia. So maybe we will see um, answers throughout the saga, not yeah. just this this cut and dry question. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so let's talk about the que- the next question that we have, which is, can you give an example of a moment in Star Wars that made you feel nostalgic and good? And I think we have some that w- – there were so many things that just, like, made me so happy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The one I really liked was there was one that said, Ray watching a ship leave Jakku and then putting on the Rebel pilot helmet. She's dreaming of the future, of the horizon, of family and belonging. It was her binary sunset moment that actually worked and was the moment I fell in love with her as a character. I have to agree. That that moment actually makes me tear up every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd, I'd really just in this moment like to read a bunch of responses, if that's yeah. okay. Well, let's, let's do that. I, I liked this one. Quote, Although I dislike most nostalgia used in The Rise of Skywalker... I loved the Luke and Leia training scene. Story implications aside, seeing young Leia and Luke with his green lightsaber again really got me nostalgic for all those happier times after Return of the Jedi. Also seeing the Yavin base and Leia and Rogue One was great. I liked this one about Rise of Skywalker 2. It said, quote, the rally in Tross when the motley fleet from the whole galaxy shows up. It made me feel the same excitement and joy I did watching A New Hope for the first time. I don't even care that all the temporal logic of traveling to Exegol went out the window. The dopamine hit obliterated my need to nitpick. I totally agree, actually. I, yeah. I, I teared up in that scene. <laughs> I was like, oh, that explains it. The dopamine hit is why I don't nitpick that scene. Yeah, that's serotonin. Yeah, it's <laughs> coming for you. <laughs> Yeah. Quote, the short story wills from from a certain point of view, because whatever it's meant to be aside, it always reads to me like two friends discussing everything that excites them about Star Wars. And it makes me feel happy and fuzzy inside. I love that story. Mm -hmm. A little outside of the films shows themselves, but the opening of the final episodes of The Clone Wars, including the Lucasfilm title card, immediately raised my expectations. Oh, my God. Yes. So I I like that answer a lot. The moment in Rogue One when the Rebel fleet drops out of hyperspace above Scarif is a very nostalgic scene in the movie for me personally. Despite having a preference for the prequel trilogy over the original trilogy, it's just so 80s in Star Wars, yet jazzed up a bit with modern rendering capabilities. More ships flying about, cleaner camera movements, more detailed models. The scene is brilliantly lit with that realistic cold, bleached white light of outer space, which I find to be so reminiscent of the fleet over Endor in Return of the Jedi, as well as other 80s sci-fi like Alien. And of course back when they were filming with actual models and real lighting setups. But to be able to recreate something so simple and subtle that evokes nostalgic and sentiment, some sentimental memories without being intrusive, an intrusive cameo, reference or retelling is quite special. Hmm. Totally agree. Yeah. I loved, I'm going to read two in a row from people that we got uh, who, the sequel trilogy was their introduction into Star Wars. This one says, the first film of the Skywalker saga I saw was The Force Awakens, and even though I dislike the rise of Skywalker overall, I think it worked best when it used elements within the sequel trilogy to pull out your heartstrings, specifically the Ben and Han scene. As soon as I heard Han's voice, I started crying. When I watched The Rise of Skywalker, I still hadn't watched the original trilogy, so it wasn't specifically the character of Han that gave me that nostalgic feeling. It was the relationship between these two characters of The Force Awakens. It just felt Mm -hmm. so right to me. I was sobbing and silently applauding. And then someone else said, this is funny because I had only watched the original trilogy for the first time two days before. But when Han, but when Han Solo walked into the Millennium Falcon with Chewie in The Force Awakens, chills. Hmm. That's great. Yeah, I love those. I think Me too. Uh, I love hearing from people who 
the sequel trilogy is in their introduction into Star Wars. And I, I love these answers too. I want to know more about your experience with the rest of Star Wars, given that, you know, it sounds like you're still kind of making your way through a lot of material within Star Wars, including the original trilogy. So I really love these answers. And I, I think it's great that it was Han in both of these answers that brought that response from people who hadn't seen the original trilogy. I liked this one which I know we agree with, quote, the Yoda scene in The Last Jedi. It's a moment of pure joy for me. Two characters reflecting at their past, but at the same time thinking about their, how their actions might impact the future generations and how they can move on themselves. Mm. Yes, absolutely. This one was good. They said, a lot of the books have made me feel that way, whether it's through revisiting a character or just reminding me of specific times in my own life, which we talk about this with Star Wars all the time, about it as a timeline and remembering where we were at certain points when things came out. And I love that this person included the books in that. Mm -hmm. Totally. Because it's so true. Mm -hmm. I often return to books because I feel nostalgic for them and Star Wars books themselves. I mean, how many times have I mentioned the Return of the... Uh, whoa, Revenge of the Sith novelization. Yeah. <laughs> I like this one too, which I think is just funny. Quote, well, it didn't necessarily make me feel good, but the version of Order 66 and the Clone Wars arc with the music and what's happening made me feel like I'm in uh, Revenge of the Sith again. And that's like, that is a kind of nostalgia, although not, quote, warm and fuzzy you were talking about. But I think it created this so well, especially with all the surrounding factors where you always knew where you were in the Revenge of the Sith timeline. Mm -hmm. Couldn't agree more. I was, like, thrilled to be back in Revenge of the Sith. But, you know, you, you're filled with this sense of doom. But for some reason, that sense of doom is comfortable because you know where it's going. And we talked about that a lot, I think, in our Clone Wars discussion. But it it was this, like, strange sense of you know what you're getting yourself into, yet you want to feel it even more. It's almost like it's kind of masochistic, honestly. <laughs> but it's it still made you feel good, you know? What do, what do we weird. say? Star Wars is tragedy? Star Wars is tragedy? Star Wars is tragedy. <laughs> I liked some uh, – some people said Vader and Ahsoka duel in Rebels and the last scene of Clone Wars, which – yeah, it's interesting. I don't think of those of nostalgic moments. I think I view them nostalgically now, especially mm -hmm. Rebels. I don't know if I would have described those as a nostalgic moment when I saw them, but I, I like this telling of it. Yeah. I don't want to play favorites, but I think this one really made my mind spin. And I, again, can't believe we didn't talk about this. But this person said the world between worlds. Mm -hmm. And I think the world between worlds is a fantastic example of good nostalgia. It, it, well, for me and for this person and probably for you, too, with the the quotes kind of swirling all around Ezra and everything. I think that it is done so well where you're like, why are these quotes layered? Why are why these specific quotes? What does it mean? This is something that you and I were you know enthralled with the moment this happened yeah and it it makes me one i'm nostalgic for the world between worlds in general because i if you're a long time listener you know that that experience of watching that episode was like uh, we you know went to a Liminal. different plane of existence yeah <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> and i think that that was so fun that i, I want to do it again but mm -hmm. i also think that it does something within you where the first time we watched it, like I immediately burst into tears and I was so 
enthralled because of the the quotes and what, how it was being used. And it was really playing with my heartstrings in almost a shortcut way, but it, it wasn't egregious. I didn't mm-hmm. think it was. Yeah, no, I don't think so either. And one day we're going to ask Dave Filoni if there was a reason. Day. day. If there was a reason about why he layered those voices the way he did. Someday. Know. Someday. Uh, remember, I'm going to read this answer and remember it when we get to the next question, okay? Okay. So this one, the person said, the episode of The Mandalorian on Tatooine works well for nostalgia because it incorporates a number of Easter eggs that make us feel that warm, fuzzy nostalgia for Star Wars and the adventures we've had on this planet. But knowledge of these moments is not necessary for the enjoyment of the episode. It acts as crown molding rather than a support beam. I think that's true. And I love that description so much Mm -hmm. crown molding instead of a support beam amazing yep as that is not my favorite episode as we talked about in the last episode i can completely respect that and i can't disagree with that statement quote binary sunset callback in revenge of the sith while revenge of the sith is an overall pretty grim and depressing movie that scene captured the very essence of star wars and the original trilogy feeling of hope and seeing beyond your present and wishing for a future of possibilities that george lucas wanted to convey in a new hope Mm-hmm. Yeah. This one I liked. A lot of people said the Luke's death and The Last Jedi. I, so we're not going to read all those, but I liked how this one was phrased. This person said, Luke becoming one with the Force while looking at the binary sunset. There was no need for the sunset in that scene. However, by adding it, Johnson created a beautiful parallel to A New Hope and Luke's call to the adventure, as well as using an iconic Star Wars image in its full glory. Oh, so true. Which I agree with. Obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Here's a really interesting one. Quote, in Dooku Jedi Lost, there's a Coliseum scene that uses a lot of episode two imagery, and it filled me with such joy to see an audible slash visual allusions to the prequels when so many people ignore them. This is such a good one. I don't know if I would have picked up on that when I heard Dooku Jedi Lost the first time. I know. Yeah, I'm really – that's a good one. I like that one. It feels like a deep cut, but it shouldn't be a deep cut. I also think this one is an interesting one. Quote, nostalgic and feels good? Not really. There are way more that are nostalgic and sad, which isn't a bad thing. Uh. The last – the the this person says the last Jedi Luke looking at the twin sons was nostalgic and sad in a good way. I think this is an interesting way to reframe it because – I do. Th- I think I have experiences of nostalgic and, and good, but maybe they are mostly nostalgic and sad. And I like this catharsis that I feel when I feel it. Mm. Yeah, I think so. Especially with our with like Luke Leia and Han, knowing that this is because they all pass away in these episodes. It's kind of like you know this is the end with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We had a couple about the music, which I liked and we kind of touched on earlier, but this person said, the music, using themes and motifs to invoke emotions from past movies while furthering the story, specifically in Solo, where Han sees the Falcon for the first time and the main theme plays, made me almost tear up for some reason and really made me realize the connection between the Falcon and Han. And then we had another answer, too, that said, hearing parts or hearing hints of Duel of the Fates in the score from season two of Rebels, I think Twilight of the Apprentice part two. Yeah, we had a lot of people say the end of Solo and Maul and seeing the Sabacc game also. Uh, And I think we had some people also say like seeing the Millennium Falcon in Solo. 
as a as a nostalgic and good moment. So table that while we, before we get to the, the cringe part, which will be next. Yeah. I like this one. Someone said, Luke seeing the twin sons over Octo. I actually really – and then they said, I actually really enjoyed Lando saying, Wookiee stand out in a crowd in Tross. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that too. It's a good line. It's a good line. I think he, he delivers it so well. He, but yeah. it feels like It feels like – Really, Billy Wee Williams just like speaking. <laughs> so it I think does, that's why it works. <laughs> we of course had a lot of people too talking about R two D two showing Luke the original clip of Leia in the Last Jedi, and we also yeah. had I think two or three people in these answers did say Luke lifting the X wing in Tross was a really good nostalgic moment for them. Which mm-hmm. and and some of them also said, I know this is unpopular, comma, <laughs> Luke lifting the <laughs> I X-wing. I feel bad about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, whatever's gonna work for you works for you. But uh, yeah, I was I was surprised that we had a couple people say that because yeah, we we definitely did. Yeah, yeah. I liked this one quote. Several spring to mind: Ahsoka watching Anakin's training training holocron in Rebels. Obi-Wan's warning message on Kanan's holocron and Rebels, the Yoda scene in The Last Jedi, the Leia hologram in The Last Jedi. And here's a weird one that I can't logically explain, but the lighting and sound of the cloak binary beacon in The Last Jedi is super comforting to me in a nostalgic sort of way. Hmm. I just can't put my finger on why. I love this comment because it makes me think a little bit about why that sound is so not aggressive. And what that sound represents and what that sound represents is connection, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's an annoying beep. It totally could have been an annoying beep, but it's not. It's like a pulse almost. Yeah. And I think it, yeah. And I think it's, it was probably very deliberate to make it not annoying, not be like an alarm, but instead being a, a comfort symbol. And I would, I, I know you can't logically explain it, but if I can explain it, I think that it would be, because it represents connection. Yeah, and you compare it to the alarm. Remember the alarms going off in the Rogue One trailers? Yeah. That's yeah, not or just comforting. Even when the Death Stars ex- <laughs> yeah, no, opposite of comforting. <laughs> <laughs> Flashbacks. <laughs> I liked this answer that said Pretty much any character igniting a lightsaber for the first time. It really captures that moment of nostalgic wonder all the way back to A New Hope and endears us to our newest heroes on their journey. It's also a natural element of a Star Wars story, so it doesn't feel like anyone's winking to the camera. I like this a lot. I, li- I like this This kind of – it's not specific to, uh, you know, like Luke and Yoda scene in The Last Jedi, but it's the, the use of the lightsaber throughout all of our stories. Mm-hmm. I'm going through the answers right now, and I'm actually surprised that no one has said a trailer or a, a a teaser trailer yet. Because, and I know that maybe it's just within the confines of the story, but I think that something that is really successful about The Rise of Skywalker is its trailer, specifically the last trailer. I think it was really, really great at pulling at the heartstrings, and I think it did its job. Mm-hmm. And every, anytime I hear that music, I am overwhelmed with emotions. And I'm, I don't know, I'm just kind of surprised that no one said that. Maybe because it, it's like, is that nostalgia lessened if you didn't have a positive yeah. reaction to the film? I don't know. I don't know. I'm definitely nostalgic for certain trailers and trailer sounds, though. Very first I, Force Awakens trailer. Oh. oh my God, yeah. But I yeah. watch The Last Jedi trailers all the time. It's actually embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that it's, 
I just think that the those like single notes from the the Force Awakens trailer is so yeah. iconic and that right? was our, like, I think, remember that was our ringtone for like a year. Yes, we ripped that yes. audio for our ringtones. Yes, and it it was great. Loved yeah. it. <laughs> it was like the only time in my like college adult life that I kept my phone off silent. Me too. (laughs) Playing whenever someone called me. Any more that we want to read before we move on? I think I think we read most of them. We tried to pull out the ones that were different, uh, that kind of hinted at different things going on in the saga. But uh, you know, a lot of people were talking about. A lot of people said the Chewie were home moment in the Force Awakens too. But I think overwhelmingly it was a lot of Luke and Yoda in The Last Jedi, uh, Luke's death, as well as R2-D2, Leia, and Luke in The Last Jedi were definitely the most answered. I have to make a correction because I just found one that talks about the trailer. Oh, And I want to read it. Quote, when the Tross trailer began with, quote, every generation has a legend to mirror the first Phantom Menace trailer, for a brief second, I genuinely thought Tross was going to fulfill the nine-part saga that begins with episode one. I am boo-boo the foal. <laughs> that trailer moment was nothing more than a cold calculated marketing move to make me buy a ticket. And I see that now. I would trade that brief moment of feel-good nostalgia for anything of real substance within The Rise of Skywalker. Relatable. Yeah. I almost feel like Katie wrote that. Yeah, I know. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> Our friend Katie, who did the mall episode, and she, we were with her when she watched it. And she was like, the, the Phantom Menace. Menace. <laughs> if you are not Katie, I'm sorry, but... She's great too. You're not alone. Yeah, you yeah, you're not alone. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, I feel the same way. So Yeah, no, no. That's what we're just talking about. Like, does your is your nostalgia for something like the Rise of Skywalker trailer lessened because of how you feel about the movie? All right, are we ready to move on to the cringe? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So I don't know if we said this, but we had 244 responses to good nostalgia moments in Star Wars. And for the question of, can you give an example of a moment in Star Wars that made you cringe at the nostalgia or took you out of the story? We got 245 responses. I would say the overwhelming answer in this is a split between Luke lifting the X-Wing in The Rise of Skywalker and Tatooine at the end of The Rise of Skywalker. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But there, there obviously are other moments as well, which we'll we'll definitely read. Yeah. Another one that came up a lot was Doctor Evazan and Ponda Baba in Rogue One, which I agree with. It totally took me out of it when we saw it in Rogue One, but it wasn't a negative. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. I I don't know. I, I I go back and forth with this one because I I just never really know what to think. Yeah, I go back and forth on it too. I think because when we, especially when we saw Rogue One for the first time, I was not a huge creature person. Like I was never looking, I never looked in the background of the cantina. (laughs) That just, (laughs) that wasn't where my focus was. And so they didn't stand out as much to me. And now they, they do a lot more, but I can't necessarily say I think that's bad. But, you know, again, that's just my personal opinion on it. Uh, Here's a quote from about it. Quote, it serves no story purpose. It isn't funny and doesn't even register with the most casual fans. The close second is Chewie getting a medal. We <laughs> talked about Chewie getting a medal, but yeah. Okay, so remember that answer I read before in the last question about Tatooine and the Mandalorian? 
Mm-hmm. So we have that. Someone else responded that that was an, uh, an example of bad nostalgia in Star Wars. They said, as much as I enjoyed The Mandalorian, I found the Moss Eisley Cantina scene too much. Visually, it was spot on, but I felt compelled to draw unfavorable comparisons between that scene and A New Hope, especially placing Jack Cannavale's character in a role similar to Han Solo. I think, again, this is just reiterating that nostalgia is so deeply personal that two people are answering about the exact same thing positively and negatively. Yeah. I feel like this specific response that I'm about to read, you could have written, Caitlin. Okay. Quote, it kind of distracted me to see some of the, quote, practical effects creatures in The Force (laughs) Awakens, especially the metal-picking bird. (laughs) I remember reading this one. (laughs) <laughs> we had so much talk about the, this nostalgic gig thing of practical effects beforehand that when we saw them finally in the movie, it took me out of the story. Or the creature in the sand that turns its head. Sorry, not remembering the names of these creatures right now. I don't want to say they are poorly crafted or anything, but it was too much, quote, in your face practical effect. You feel like you're 1977 now, right? End quote. That I got distra- distracted. And it comes from someone who loves stories of creature performers and puppeteers and loves the attack of uh, the A New Hope cantina scene, although I got into Star Wars with a second trilogy. Oh, my God. I think See, I did. You write really could have written. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Maybe I wrote this like in the middle of the night. <laughs> Even down to like, I don't want to. Like say that I don't enjoy behind the scenes features about puppet makers and the creators and everything. That's true too. And whoever you are, you are Caitlin's twin. Yeah. <laughs> I think we should we share a single brain cell about that that bird in the Force of Weekends. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with you. <laughs> we um we did get a couple of responses about solo too which solo was was one of the higher responses on positive nostalgia in our like pie chart one but we did get a good number of people who thought that solo had elements of bad nostalgia and this person wrote every time solo explained how han got something iconic to him like his name or winning the falcon or his blaster or lando pronouncing it han i like the movie but combined it's all a bit much Oh, and also the brief shot of the training remote in The Force Awakens. It's not much, but it calls just that little bit too much attention to itself as, hey, recognize this thing and most of trust. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah I, I, I completely agree about the about it explaining things. It does do it a lot. I think that Han getting his name was a good moment, but I think I think this person is right that having all of it together, the blaster, the falcon, the name – Han, it it is a lot. Like we, you didn't need to give us everything. Yeah, they really did. They gave it all, all all of it to us on a silver platter. Yeah, we're like here, eat. (laughs) I think (laughs) indulge, peace. Yeah, Uh, this one is interesting. Quote the forty-two year comment in the Rise of Skywalker about the festival. Ick, man, I rolled my eyes so big when I I heard that. I remember hitting you in the theater and going because it's been 42 years (laughs) (laughs) what bothers me also about it is that in the visual dictionary it's a different number of years so it's like they changed it in post because they were like wouldn't it be funny hey anthony why don't you record this line that's 42 instead of whatever we decided on with pablo 
I think that's such a weird number to like for a ceremony for <laughs> you know it's like we don't do Doesn't things really the 37th no. year anniversary it's 35 40 maybe 45. we should no <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, this person said, large stretches of Act 2 of The Force Awakens. I love that movie, and I love Han Solo in that movie. But the moment he starts obsessing over Chewie's bowcaster, you can feel the movie losing its focus in favor of winking overindulgence that doesn't even make sense on a character level. He sees that gun every day. The movie doesn't come roaring back to life until after his death. I came to the se- I love this part of what this person said. I came to the sequel trilogy for my old friends, but ultimately I just wanted more time with my new ones. And I think I think a lot of us, if we could sum up the sequel trilogy, might be that <laughs> about our approach. Sentence. Yeah, about our yeah. approach to it. You know, coming to see our old friends, but ultimately wanted more time with the new ones. And I think that's also where it suffered. In I think across all the films, honestly, that having too much focus on this on the older original trilogy characters was a bit of a detriment. And I, I wasn't that person that thought that way until we got to the close of of the trilogy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Man, there's just so much Ray Skywalker here. Yeah. I it's it's like hard to sift through. Like I would say that probably 70% of these include that. Mm-hmm. About Ray at the end and on that. Uh yeah. here's here's a here's a long one that talks about it. Quote, binary sunset callback in The Rise of Skywalker, extremely cheap. Not only was it badly filmed, written, looks like bad Photoshop, it encapsulates contemporary mass media and their approach to storytelling. It cannibalizes cultural icons. Binary sunset can be considered one for the sake of product advertising. Ray adopts the name Skywalker just for the quote, anyone can be a Skywalker. Come to Galaxy's Edge, ADSCP. I don't know if I fully agree, but I, I respect the passion. I'm, I'm here for the, for the salt. Yeah, same. Yeah. Saltier then create yeah <laughs> what is this salt salt <laughs> i i liked this answer that said tross and its repeated lines hero worship of ray to luke luke lifting the x-wing bringing palpatine back without clear intention of changing the end game ray palpatine ray skywalker and ending on tatooine they also included within it that with the hero worship of Rey to Luke compared to Poe talking to Lando since they couldn't use Leia and how that was handled much better. And I agree 100%. Poe's scene with Lando was probably one of my favorite scenes in The Rise of Skywalker, which like really comes out of left field uh, personally. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think that Rey's hero worship of Luke is just like, what are we doing here? (laughs) But when you contrast that like with a sequel trilogy character talking about an original trilogy character, Poe talking about Leia works way better than Ray talking about Luke. Yeah, because I think Poe talking about Leia builds upon his entire struggle in The Last yeah. Jedi. When it feels like Ray and Luke meeting again in The Rise of Skywalker, it doesn't necessarily you know, reflect upon what came before. And we talked about this in our last episode, so I won't repeat myself, but I, it feels like it didn't add um, to what came before, unlike the the Poe and Leia part, which definitely does. Mm-hmm. Here's another one. Quote, I think there are a lot of moments in The Rise of Skywalker that, repl- that rely on empty nostalgia. Things like Rey going to Tatooine, the Imperial Star Destroyer fleet, and Rey and Ben flying an X-Wing and TIE Fighter. 
respectively, make for nice visuals, but don't really con- contribute much to the story overall. It makes the movie feel like it caters only to the fans who grew up with the original trilogy at the expense of anyone who came into Star Wars in the later years. Mm-hmm. Someone else said, I despise the whole scene with Force Ghost Luke and Tross. The way that scene was written completely negated the growth of both Luke and Rey, and it felt like its only point was to placate disgruntled fanboys who didn't like The Last Jedi. But I was especially offended by him raising the X-Wing out of the water. That felt cheap and pandering and hollow. I think I'm going to read two back to back. So here's the first one. Quote, I know people have harped on the Octo in, in Tross, so I'll mention another scene. Wedge's small appearance in, in in late The Rise of Skywalker. Dude mm. shows up to basically say, quote, hey, it's me, Wedge. You know me because you love the original trilogy, end quote. And the next one is, in The Rise of Skywalker, I think I blacked out when I heard you're a Palpatine and never quite bounced, bounced back. I was completely taken out of the movie. Whatever new movie excitement I had had left and didn't come back. This one just says, Palps has somehow returned and everything following that moment. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so here's someone else that says, the Euro Palpatine line in The Rise of Skywalker immediately checked out. Yeah. I Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I couldn't believe what was happening in the movie theater. I, I, so. It was an audible no <laughs> from me. Here's, here's a little bit of a more positive one. Quote, you are a Palpatine. I warmed up to this revelation a bit, though I think I would have been better if her parents were simply just uh, some of Palpatine's followers who were manipulated into getting together and having a kid. But the line itself is such a thinly veiled attempt to recreate the iconic I am your father moment that it falls flat on its face. It falls flat on its face so hard that you can basically hear the moment and mutter a quick ow. I like how yes. you phrase that as a nicer one. <laughs> well, I think it, it was more descriptive. <laughs> this one, I was surprised actually we didn't get this response a few more times that said uh, perhaps Starkiller Base in general. They wrote, I'm not a hater mm-hmm. necessarily, but it's really way too much of an homage to the Death Star and the subsequent battle. It's interesting how The Rise of Skywalker has kind of like eclipsed um, what if we took this, if we did the survey last year, we'd get, I think we would have gotten a lot of this is the Death Star and this is Starkiller Base responses. Yeah, I think we would <laughs> <You know? have. laughs> gasp (laughs) here's one about rogue one funnily enough there are two moments in rogue one that pulled me out of the story because of the crammed crammed in nostalgia one is the above mentioned this person also talked about how uh in the last question they said to me it's the gold standard of what trash should have been when it comes to rogue one its moments are heavy-handed like c3bo and r2d2 but for the most part it strikes a great balance between prequel original clone wars rebels and books and comics and character nostalgia so back to this question that i'm reading about the cringe they say the other one was when two guys from the cantina in a no hope ran to Jin and cassian in the street i have a pet peeve that the galaxy is a huge place with tens of thousands of planets with billions and billions of people but for some reason, we constantly run into the same 20 people over and over and over again, all these stories. That's a pet peeve of mine. When I look at the story, when when it's used in the story well, like Leia in Star Wars Rebels, it works. When it's crammed in there just to be a cameo and say, ooh, look, it's so-and-so. Isn't this fun? But it serves no purpose to the story, then it really bothers me. Mm, yeah. This one said, there were a handful of moments in the sequel trilogy, and then in parentheses said, are you referring to it as the third trilogy? Another second trilogy believer, thank you, who also (laughs) said... Comparing the size of Starkiller Base to be the Death Star, this was a Last Jedi reference. Luke talking about floating rocks and what Rey wants him to do seems to be referencing things outside of the narrative. I think it's interesting the Luke talking about floating rocks. I don't think I would have thought about that, but I can see it. 
Oh, here's one, which is actually one that we talked about in our last episode, and we actually had it as a positive. So here it is. Quote, when Chewbacca plays hollow chess with Finn and Poe, Easter eggs like that, ones that kind of hit you over the head and say, hey, remember this, that this was funny, wasn't it, are low-hanging fruit and ultimately fleeting moments of humor. That, when it's used too much, lessen my overall experience. The more time I spend with replays of what was, the less I time, less time I spend experience what is. Yeah, I agree with that. I think we listed that as a positive because I think in the overall world of nostalgic moments and The Rise of Skywalker, that one is positive. Yeah, it's low on the list for us. Yeah, but that person is right that when you – like when a film is just filled with those kind of moments, then then it's taking away from the film, yeah. from the actual plot and the actual characters that are in the here and now. So I agree with that. So our last question was, do you have any other thoughts on nostalgia as it relates to Star Wars? And we got 204 responses to this question. So many thoughts. A lot of good thoughts. I wonder if we could just read a bunch, Caitlin, mm-hmm. and just kind of popcorn back and forth. That sounds good. Okay, let's do it. Paying homage to the past is fine, but a story has to evolve to live. Common themes, tropes, struggles can persist throughout the timeline, but the context and manifestation has to change because that's what it does in life. The people that repeat mistakes frequently believe themselves invulnerable to those same mistakes as they've learned from those who've come before. But we often miss the point entirely or we but often that but we often miss the point entirely or believe that we are different than the ancestor when too often we are alike in more ways than we want to admit that development is what makes stories interesting not repetitive plots if i see another iteration of the death star i'm going to poop (laughs) (laughs) quote i feel george dictated to john knoll and the rest of the production for the prequels and to dave filoni in the production for the production of the clone wars that connectivity and quote, it rhyming, is a necessary storytelling tool and practice for these stories. I believe at times George leaned too heavily on the idea, that idea with the prequels, and JJ did too with the sequel trilogy. I'm not going to say it it's easy to do because I don't know and I feel there was a success that, that was had with the nostalgia in the prequel and sequel trilogy. I oddly feel Dave is the one who is the only one who got how to implement the feelings of nostalgia without re- relying overly on it. We get Boba Fett in Clone Wars, but they took him to new places with that character he hadn't we hadn't met. We see Yoda talking to Qui-Gon's Force Coast in the Clone Wars, but it's not asking us to remember Dagobah because it's not directly calling back to it. There's no raising of a ship out of water. This will ultimately continue to be a problem as the creative space remains overwhelmingly white and male. Diversity, besides being the inherently right thing to do, brings strength in storytelling because of the variety of our experiences and what we can bring to the table. I feel that for the most part, nostalgia in Star Wars is a significant theme. There may be moments we cringe at at times, but overall, it has always set Star Wars apart until other forms of media start to utilize that theme. It's destroying the future of Star Wars. I always liked Star Wars, but the last Jedi brought me into the and but the last Jedi brought me into the fandom, and I'd say it's the, it's the least nostalgic of anything created in the Disney era, while still dropping into con, in connections to the saga at large. That needs to be the handling of Star Wars going forward to keep bringing casual fans like me deeper into it. Also, merch really struggles from this. I have zero interest in any more original trilogy merch, but would gobble up prequel and sequel trilogy merch of the same quality if they bothered to make it. Unfortunately, any prequel or sequel trilogy merch out there isn't as high quality. I might have an unpopular opinion, but I don't really like nostalgia. There are things in Star Wars that I love, specific elements, but I don't really want to see them again. 
I know what the filmmakers are doing, and I guess I think nostalgia is given too much importance. If I want to see Han and Chewie in The Falcon or Leia's hologram, even Luke being a Jedi, I don't need to see that replicated in new movies. I'll just put on my DVDs and watch, DVDs and watch the original trilogy. I value originality more than fan service and Easter eggs and nostalgia as a whole. I feel like Star Wars always has to have an element of nostalgia because that's part of the long time ago, far, far away feeling, especially as it relates to the yearning for the past definition. But I don't think that has to mean just keep making content from the original trilogy, but rather they should be just they should just be consistent with the themes the main saga presents. And if whatever media they create will probably evoke similar feelings. I think nostalgia in Star Wars works best when the creators are only considering their own nostalgia, but are open to the idea that the audience may be nostalgic about other parts of it. Nostalgia is very personal, so it's appreciated when they try to make it personal for everyone, which The Rise of Skywalker couldn't manage. That was very specifically J.J. and Chris Terrio's nostalgia, so if you're nostalgic about the same things, that's great, and if you're not, you're out of luck. One thought about the scene with Luke and R2 and the Leia hologram. I always have seen this scene as a meta-commentary on the overt appeal of nostalgia in The Force Awakens, especially Luke's line, quote, that was a cheap move. I think music is, and always has been, a powerful force in the Star Wars universe. You can hear the familiar notes before anything is even on, on the screen, and it awakens something in you, and it always will. Iconography, such as ships, stormtroopers, and other well-known imagery, isn't bad. While it would be nice to see more new stuff, at the end of the day, it's just stuff. It's the substance of that stuff that really matters. I don't blame Disney for feeling the need to appeal to the fan base. I do hope now they see that because they are such a big conglomerate that there will be trolls out there to ridicule because insecure people need to see that the top fail. They just need to continue to trust in themselves. Their merchandise sales alone prove that there's still plenty of fans that believe in them. Nostalgia is nice when it's used in a slightly different way to help tell a new story. The nostalgia of R2-D2 using Princess Leia's message to Obi-Wan to inspire Luke is a great moment and probably the perfect example of what I mean. I found the nostalgia of the behind-the-scenes featurette about the objects that they built for Mr. John Williams' bartender scene in Tross. Those references barely show up on screen, yet they were a big focus for a lot of crew members. I think that would be a disappointing job if you were hired for Star Wars and did that. A nice gesture to him, but that nostalgia didn't help to t- didn't help work to tell a new story. Maybe I was just hoping for slightly better scenes of those of that video. Maybe I was just hoping for slightly better behind the scenes videos. Being subtle at those references, like calling FN two one eight seven after Princess's Le- Princess Leia's cell on the detention level, is fine, and the type of non story nostalgia that is fine. The throwaway lines are fine to be nostalgia. It's a strange relationship I have personally to nostalgia in Star Wars. The material that I was introduced to in Star Wars is the material that that was made under the Disney acquisition. I was a toddler when the prequel trilogy came out, but the only Star Wars I ever truly consumed are those created in the Disney era, so my nostalgia is going to be built on someone else's nostalgia. The sequel trilogy is nostalgic for the original trilogy. Rebels, to a certain extent, is nostalgic for the Clone Wars. It's a weird experience to consume media that is based on a feeling that people want to experience. However, I have a difficult time differentiating whether my nostalgia is going to be built on someone else's nostalgia or the original events. I mean, I won't lie. I am, nostal- I, I am nostalgic for the raw emotional lightsaber fights, the chimes of Rey's theme, the crackle of Kylo Ren's lightsaber, the harsher and dirt aesthetic, and the underdog heroes. But more and more and more often that Lucasfilm and Disney try to create films that feed into that feeling people have for Star Wars, specific people who saw New New Hope in the theater as a child. And of course, they would do that because they are in the the business. However, I often wonder what world we are missing out 
from by not taking a chance to change what Star Wars is and how it should feel. I can't help but wonder if the reasons projects such as Rogue One and Solo went through such changes from the original concept to the final product is because they had such a new style that didn't fit into with the quote Star Wars feeling. It makes me really sad, to be honest, and I really want to see new styles and interpretations. I constantly get the feeling that Star Wars is more interested in the past than it is in the future, which is at odds with the mythology it's based on, the hero with a thousand faces, where it says, quote, only life can conquer death, the birth, not only the thing again, but some, out of something new. I mean, it's kind of a draining experience, for example, in The Mandalorian. As much as I love it because it follows the Kimbellian mythology, you've got to admit the show feel, feels into nostalgia because everything in the show is some version of what we've seen before. The Mandalorian armor that people saw, saw with Boba Fett IG-88, the child is the same species as Yoda. And though it does have its own unique voice because I've seen the intention in behind the behind-the-scenes series, in a specific moment when Favreau talks about the music, quote, our biggest goal is not to feel like we were just repeating a drawing upon what came before as a shortcut to get through the audience, the Mandalorian can't help but fall on choices that feel familiar. Don't get me wrong, I love it. I loved it in the child, but when I hear rumors of Ahsoka, Bogatan, Boba Fett, and Rex coming onto the show, I just groan in frustration. It's cool that people are excited to see the characters they love, but I care about Din and the Child. And though I won't necessarily take away that won't necessarily take away to have the other characters in the show, it says something by the constant need to see something that has come before. It's not that I won't advance it won't advance the story, but what I have seen is people more interested in what the returning characters' roles will be rather than the growth of the characters from season one. I feel like I'm in that response so much. <laughs> I know I see myself in it. So yeah, much. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry i just had to take a pause and be like wow scene yeah i know it was a really good answer <laughs> yeah, it was so good. thank you for writing in that yeah in. they need to find more creative ways to honor nostalgia by virtue of continuing to make things in the star wars universe it is nostalgic so they don't need to cram every familiar name or face into their projects make new stories let them stand on their own not everything has to be tied to the Skywalker slash Palpatines. Oh, I cringed. <laughs> they limit themselves their creativity and narratives by catering to nostalgia I think there's a good and bad way to do it. Borrowing from previous themes, previous inspirations for Star Wars coupled with a few homages or Easter eggs really does it for me. Blatant unthought out, here's a connection for you type of nostalgia ruins it. I think most new Star Wars has been good at balancing nostalgia, particularly the Mandalorian and Rogue One, but Tross not at all. I never even considered nostalgia to be a hindrance until The Rise of Skywalker. I'm careful not to confuse Star Wars aesthetic with nostalgia. Callbacks, which I do consider nostalgia, work when they're subtle or reinforce the themes of Star Wars. But when they serve no other purpose than, quote, remember when, they're a waste of time that doesn't move the story forward. Johnson clearly loved the original trilogy characters, but was never precious with them. A big difference between revisiting and remembering. The former allows for greater complexity to a character or theme, and the former is like a, is like a photo or fond memory, frozen and idealized. Not words that form a compelling story. While the storyline of Star Wars has always been has always leaned heavily on its own legacy, the characters shouldn't be slave to it. In fact, the surprise of a character's decision in the face of that legacy is what makes a story interesting. Mando chooses to protect the child. Ahsoka leaves the Jedi Order. The architect of the Death Star names the flaw in the design after his lost daughter. The princess picks up a blaster and saves her rescuers. Yoda sets fire to the Jedi tree. Rey delivers herself to Kylo. These are the moments that make Star Wars my favorite. Star Wars fails when it gets falls down when it gets lazy and follows the easy path. Isn't that just the way to the dark side? Nostalgia makes for fun storytelling, I think. Introduce the new, but if there's a chance, make a note to touch on the past. It's not necessary, but I love when it happens and it gives me that sense of awe, and sometimes it makes me cry. Other times, I won't even know 
it's there until I research about it. So I end up learning about something new in the process. Nostalgia may seem like the, quote, problem right now, but in 30 years, future storytellers might reference things from the sequel trilogy. Sequel fans now will feel nostalgic at that point in the future. I think nostalgia is part of being human and wanting to remember something that brought joy to your life. If you're creating something and you go out of your way to avoid anything that feels nostalgic, I think that's an extreme thing to do. On the other hand, if it's all you do is place nostalgic elements at every turn, you're forgetting about the story. I like I like being in the middle, stories that are new and carry on the torch, but also insert elements here and there to make creators and audiences happy. It's a constant balancing act, and Star Wars taught us it's important to keep the balance in our lives. When people, when some people say The Rise of Skywalker was made for nostalgic fanboys, that hurts. First off, I'm a woman. Second, I love most of the nostalgia present throughout the movies, but I also keep my expectations in check. I didn't let whatever story I came up with in my head conflict with the story presented to me. I disagreed with some of the story decisions, but for the most part, I had fun. It made me feel like I was a kid again. It reminded me of what it means to be selfless, selfless in that friendship wins the day. Anyway, I know I'm going off topic, but to sum it up, nostalgia is not a bad thing. Like with everything else, there needs to be a balance. I think The Rise of Skywalker handled it best in the sequels and Rebels handled it best overall. I am not against having some nostalgic callbacks, but I feel in in Star Wars in particular, the original trilogy is revered by many creators and fans alike too much. It has become a straitjacket for new stories and ideas. Both creators and fans seem obsessed with recreating the original trilogy characters, moments, props, etc. When I think one of the main messages George Lucas was trying to impart is that people need to push the boundaries of creativity and imagination. The original trilogy would never have existed if George Lucas had done a Flash Gordon remix, reboot, seaboot. I may be in the minority, but I want to see new things and story points. Not an Empire vs. Rebellion 2.0, the story of Luke Skywalker 2.0, another cantina scene, another secret parentage reveal, etc. I won't go as far as some have and say Star Wars is currently creatively bankrupt, but I do think it's in dire need of some creativity injected back into it. As you said in this podcast episode, nostalgia can be a double-edged sword. Or like the forest can have a dark and light side. It's always a balancing act to have moments in the shows and movies that tie back to previous material while also being strong enough to forge ahead with new ideas. I welcome it, and I think it does no harm as long as it's done to serve a purpose, whether in-universe or in the real world. For example, Luke lifting the X-Wing and Trost as both the development of his character and as a nostalgic reference to the audience, which is why I think it works so well for me. I also enjoy the small, hey, look at this thing, nostalgic references, but they're hard to pull off without being too distracting. Ryan and the story group laid down the gauntlet for future Star Wars storytellers to move beyond using nostalgia as a crutch. Right now, it appears that it wasn't just J.J. and Terrio who didn't want to pick up the gauntlet. It, it appears to be all Lucasfilm, especially after the departure of Kiri and her team. The Mandalorian is fine, but it does the bare minimum. I cannot trust anything conceived by all male, male writers and creators, even even if they bring in female directors as tokens. Harsh, but I, I appreciate. I posted a small thread on Twitter a few weeks ago comparing the Star Wars trilogies to places I enjoy visiting. The original trilogy was a museum, the prequel trilogy an art gallery, and the sequel trilogy a community library. I intended it to be a way for me to evaluate how I perceive and feel about each group of films, and a large part of that involved considering the influence of nostalgia. Acknowledging and paying tribute to the past allows us to feel a part of something. The thing with nostalgia and the warm feelings it provokes is that they can mean the world to some and absolutely nothing to others. Stories ought to travel bravely onward with the blessing of their forebears and not be held back by them. Only then will we get new stories with the potential to mean something to audiences from all walks of life. Let the past die. Kill it if you have to. 
No, it can definitely be good sometimes. Like, <laughs> Clone Wars. Sorry, I have to laugh. I love that. But I am excited for Star Wars to go into new directions in previously unexplored eras. Yeah, I am too. Yeah. And I, th- I think we've read a lot of these. <laughs> yeah. And I just have to say, because this is our last question, but you guys wrote the best responses. We have the absolute best listeners. Sometimes yeah. I'm just in awe. Your your thoughts, I, I am going to collect them and I'll share this in the show notes I in, in either a Google slide or I'll share this somewhere because I think just reading this is fascinating. It's great to hear all these different perspectives and um, see where we're at as a fandom. You know, I, I'm, I know this is a small subset of people, but I think as a fandom, it's clear to me that we want something new. I just kind of hope that while there has been this sort of chance in 2020 to kind of pause and reflect about, you know, movies since things are on on hold. And I just like, I kind of hope that the stories that are being created right now have kind of taken this moment to pause and be like, you know, we need to make something new. And we need to, you know, create within this world. And this is the problem that we've talked about, you know, creating in this world. How do you be referential? How do you push the story forward? I think these are important questions. And I hope a lot of reflection has been happening right now because I really do think that this fandom and audiences want to be delighted and awed. And I think we saw that happening with The Mandalorian, with the sort of rapture that it kind of took over truly the zeitgeist in November and December. And that, felt really good and i think it really was because oh my god have you checked out this new thing on this new streaming service and i think that while we've gotten so many comments about how you know the positives and negatives of nostalgia in the mandalorian i think that the way forward is pushing the boundaries and continuing continuing to iterate and reiterate and figuring out how to move forward with this balance that is so crucial and so ironic within Star Wars that, you know, the story is about balancing and keeping the balance. And it is so hard, you know, to balance these these elements. And um, I just want to say, say thank you to everyone who reflected that and talked about that so eloquently. It was a joy to read. Yeah, these were I can't say it any better than you said it. Uh, we really do have the best listeners. So thank you so much for taking time to fill this out. I do have to say, I think it is, you know, talking about the Mandalorian as using these elements really well. I do think it's really interesting kind of seeing resistance, honestly, not in these results really anywhere for the most part. And I think I think that's a good and bad thing. I know that it had a smaller audience size in general, but you and I both love that show. And it mm-hmm. kind of went against all of our expectations as far as what it was going to be about, it not being about the Force at all. Poe was a, a strong secondary character in it, but certainly not there all the time. I think I think you and I, like, we had such a great experience with that show, especially season one. It's just so well done. And I, I don't think it leans heavily on nostalgia at all. And I think it's really successful in that way. But it still has that that ambiguous Star Wars feeling with, you know, the fact that they're all racers and pilots and like there's that pod racing kind of vibe to it. But there's also that original trilogy vibe to it because they're like in X-Wings and Y-Wings and stuff like that, you know. So I, I don't know why. As we were talking, I was like, I think we, I think I got to bring up Resistance. <laughs> I just did a search through the comments and I only found one in our, you know, hundreds and hundreds of written responses that 
recognized resistance outside of I haven't seen resistance, so I can't comment. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's the here's the comment. And it was in the last question about, do you have any other thoughts on nostalgia? It says, I treasure thoughtful, sincere, and novel-seeming connections to what will come before. But it's so subjective. Mando feels gold- good in an old way. Re- Resistance feels new in a, in a good way. The Last Jedi, Rogue One, and aspects of Solo feel in balance. Yeah. Yeah. I like. I think comparing Mandalorian Resistance is actually really interesting. Because I think Mandalorian has done, I think Mandalorian has done a great job with nostalgia for the most part. There are elements of it that I don't like, but overall, it's it's very good for me. And the fact that Mandalorian also has a very heavy emphasis on innovation as far as the creation, like the physical creation of this show, is also very Star Wars for me. And so I love seeing that represented. And yeah, just like just like that person said, Resistance is a new kind of Star Wars, and I think it I think it did it really successfully. And did not lean into nostalgia at all when it didn't need to. And mm-hmm. I, yeah, so I guess if you haven't watched Resistance, you should. But yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I just kind of want to talk about it for a second. But yeah, thank you, everyone. Thank you for that person who mentioned Resistance. We see you. <laughs> We're with you. <laughs> and thank you to everyone else who filled out responses. It really, it's, it's, like you guys took time out of your day to do this and wow honestly <laughs> because I, I I forget to do things all the time much less a podcast survey so thank you to all of you who did I hope that all of your responses uh, you enjoyed hearing from everyone else and the things you agreed with the things you don't I think there is a lot of variety in these answers so it was really so much fun to go through this and maybe we'll have to think of something else like this to do in the future yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. And I just I, I, I walk away from this discussion without a clear understanding of whether nostalgia is good or bad or if it is inherently either of those things. And I think that's maybe I'm alone in that. But no, I think that one of these responses that I read talked about how it's kind of it's a psychological feeling and we referenced this in our our last episode as well and how it's going to always be a part of us and I think we will always be chasing that feeling the the warm fuzzy the familiarity because it's a blanket it's a it's comforting but it can cloud things and I think that as we discussed it is a knife edge it is a a balance and I don't, I think that I have a, from this discussion, I have a clear understanding about what nostalgia is in these moments within Star Wars that maybe I hadn't really thought about this like reframing almost, but I don't, I don't think my opinion has completely changed as much as I definitely walk away from this knowing that the fandom wants something new. Yeah, I think that all the things that I thought were like no one, no, nothing has really changed my mind on my personal feelings about the good and bad examples of nostalgia in Star Wars. But I have liked seeing everyone's opinions on what they think is good and bad in Star Wars, and and why for some people Luke and the X Wing really works for them. And yeah. I think that's important <laughs> too because this all is very very personal. And I'm glad that we could kind of aggregate some of these responses together to do some comparison. And I think you're right. I think at the end of the day, I think all of us are here for some level of nostalgia. I think most of us are. But that urge, that desire for something new is is pretty strong. So 
Time will tell. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, is there anything else we want to stay on nostalgia? I don't think so. Yeah. I don't know. We'll 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 do this series again in like four years and see what's changed. Yeah. <laughs> put put a pin in this for twenty twenty four. That would that would be so exciting. That I really want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Write it down, everyone. Well, I think that is going to wrap up this episode on nostalgia. Thank you all for participating. I hope you've enjoyed this little mini series. We have a lot of exciting things coming up. We have our summer series that is right around the corner, and unlike last year, we've already picked out the topic. <laughs> Last year, it was very last minute when we picked out. Not last minute, but it felt like oh, it was last minute. It was yeah. You know, it was like oh, this is coming out next week, and we don't have an idea yet. <laughs> but we we already have the idea, so uh, we are really excited about this year's summer series. So I hope you guys are looking forward to it. What do you think it's about? Let us know. <laughs> um, but if you want to find us online, you can follow us on Twitter at Skytalkers Pod or our personal handles. Mine is at Kaylin Plusher and Charlotte's is at Clarity. We also have our website, skytalkers.com, our email, Facebook, and Instagram, wherever you would like to find us. If you haven't subscri- subscribed to us on iTunes or left us a review on iTunes, that would really help our show out and help other people to find our show. Thank you to everyone who has reviewed us already. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. And if you're interested in other ways to support us or want to be a part of the Skytalkers community on Discord, you can head on over to our Patreon and check out our rewards tiers there. Yes. And I want to say a huge thank you to these patrons, Bethany, Jackson, Joey, Lauren, Mike, Adam, Allison, Amy, Anton, BJ, Camille, Rebuild, Seth, Stephanie, Tim, Tom, and Patrick. Thank you all so much for supporting us. Your support means the world. Yes, thank you guys so much. And as always, until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you.